again world to episode 80 who knows the hell what of the feminine critique i'm emily i'm christine that's right we are the feminine yeah. critique coming at you with movies and talk about movies that's what we do here right oh no i'm on the wrong show uh oh oh sorry <laughs> sorry about that what what were you but... planning on talking about christine drag race for oh, the next two hours oh oh it's on oh, it's airing now okay i'm recording it um, we should talk about that because it's a new season and like a new network and mm-hmm. that's exciting on its own. I'm uh, current on it. Yes. So it's exciting. Why, why are we talking about movies? We should just be talking about RuPaul's Drag Race. Right. I know. I'm very smart. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, if you were smarter, you would have reminded me before we started recording that we needed to talk about it and make a separate special episode on it. Oh, okay. Well, I can keep my mouth shut. <laughs> well, anyway, do you have any favorites so far? Um... Yes, Valentina. Um, Valentina, obviously. obviously. Um, Peppermint and mm-hmm. Nina. Okay, I like all of them. Yeah, I yes. think I might like Sasha Velour, but I can't remember. I'd be confusing mm. her with somebody else. Sasha's bald. Yes. Or, yeah, and then also um, Eureka, I really like as well. I am very undecided on Eureka. In the first I episode, that. I thought, I'm like, ooh, I'm not going to like her. She is that, like, every season there's, like, the token plus-size queen who, like, mm-hmm. I should like, because I should totally be like, yeah, I'm rooting for you. But then she always ends up being really either insecure or overcompensating. Like, mm-hmm. Roxy Andrews, who's, like, one of my least, like, my most hated queens of all time. Yeah. Uh, and I thought that with Eureka in that first episode, I'm like, ooh, girl, you're trying really hard to make, like make a statement as being like the tough talking comedy queen but you're not really mm-hmm. bringing it but the last episode she had some great lines about um what'd she say she's like you're a drag queen you need to know a hot glue gun yeah i i thought the first episode i was like oh no 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 yeah. and then all of a sudden i was like oh okay okay I'm actually i'm actually enjoying her yeah we'll see we'll see we have a whole season ahead of us we also have two movies ahead of us christine what are they um, they are Sleepwalkers and Another Year's The Hunger. I don't know the years on these. Uh, 1992 Sleepwalkers, which I remember very, very specifically because oh, I saw it in the movie theater uh, when I was 10. And 1983's The Hunger, which I did not see in the wow. movie theater because these... would have been one. <laughs> if you had seen it in the theater, you wouldn't have remembered it. So, I mean, it's That's good that you did. Yeah. As uh, my husband just said, that probably wouldn't have stopped my parents from taking me to see it because I saw a lot of movies <laughs> as a kid. 
but I did not see it until last week, so that is exciting. I am, I don't, guys, I'm like, I'm kind of humble, like, I'm not really, like, a braggart, but let's face it, I programmed a fucking kick-ass show this week. Yeah, right? Yes. Yeah, we're gonna get into why, but yeah, Tony Scott's The Hunger, Mick Garris's Sleepwalkers, yeah, we, we've got a winner on our hands, guys. You could call it that, yes. <laughs> now, before we get to these classics of modern cinema, uh, mm-hmm. we tend to do a thing where we talk about movies we've been watching. Mm-hmm. Now, Christine, you've uh, you've had a busy couple of weeks since we last talked. You were moving yes, across the country. Yes. Did you get to um, watch any movies? I watched some. I don't remember what the last time, what I said to you the last time we talked. Um, so, no, I do. Actually, I can clearly see where I watched Cat People, and that would have been the last time okay. we talked, right? Um, probably. What a dummy. Um, so, <laughs> I, I moved across, halfway across the country, watched, rewatched season four of Drag Race. Very nice. And I'm now halfway through season five. Um, you know, sometimes you just gotta put something on the background. The comfort, the comfort, man. I hear you. You need like that comforting Tic Tac lunch. Mm, yeah, there you. Go. That's very funny. You're very funny. I try. Um, so I was packing a lot and found that I rewatched some movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I rewatched the Lego Movie, which I love. Glorious. And I rewatched Cabin in the Woods, which I still really like. Mm-hmm. As do I. Uh, yeah, I watched uh, Jurassic Park three. Uh, where do you stand on that one? I don't... Uh, it, it existed. And I that's feel, how I, I feel about it. <laughs> I feel like I was, like, asking the television lots of questions mm. during it. Yeah. Like, why would you do that? Yeah. Like, why are you going over there? Or why are you that? alive? Shouldn't you be dead? Didn't you die exactly. already in the movie? Yeah. 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 I don't know. It definitely... Obviously, it's not... It's not like Jurassic Park. I will but, say, like, I like it better than two, though. I hate part two. I think I hate too as well. Um, I every time I say I haven't seen it, I realize that I actually have. That you've just so been I trying really to block think, it out. I think I block it out. Yeah, you should. Um, but it was on Netflix when I watched it, and that's why I okay. we put it on. Um, I watched a movie called Exposed, and I think it had Keanu Reeves in it. <laughs> was he exposed? No, sadly, oh, it wasn't. God. But then there was. A very pretty lady that was just in something else. I'm really bad at remembering. <laughs> was she exposed? Kind of, but more emotionally than Ugh, physically. Oh, God, that sounds awful. I think I watched it on Hulu, which is weird. I don't usually watch movies on Hulu. Hmm. But it was like, for a minute, you thought it was going to be about like weird aliens that can predict death. And then you realize that she might just not be like completely sane and then it was less cool okay well i will say i'm looking at the uh cast of it i guess maybe it was anna de armas might have been her yeah um um, zach just sent me a message to let me know that she was in war dogs (laughs) oh your favorite movie Um, i hated that movie (laughs) but can can i ask you a question now obviously i have not seen exposed but i really want to know how was stephen thompson in the part of albino floating man perfectly cast okay good to know that i'm sold um, it could have been a great movie but now it's just kind of something that i forgot that i watched until i looked at this list <laughs> i yeah. watched a movie called the other man and i really don't remember what that was so let's just skip over that <laughs> um oh i think the movie called stolen was about something getting stolen i can't remember no that one either. <laughs> no it wasn't that's crazy talk 
Yeah, I did. What was stolen about? I watched some really forgettable movies. Stolen Heart, perhaps? Oh, I don't remember. Emotionally um, and... stolen, or? I don't know. Clearly, it wasn't worth talking about Obviously. if I can't remember it. Um, so, you know that I have a sick obsession with the movie Laid to Rest. I do. do you remember that? Yes, do I you still have not actually watched it myself. Um, so we did the, like the final, um, group movie night with, um, Aww. Zach and I's friends and it was, it was my pick and I decided to go out with a bang. So I picked late to rest. Very, how did it go over? It went over a lot better than I thought because okay. it's funny and cheesy, but also the kills are great. And the, the people that show up in it are kind of surprising. Like if you like genre stuff at all, mm, okay. like cool. you're, you're, and there, we, there are some Game of Thrones fans there. So, like, I thought, oh, I'm, this is a big swing, but if I get it, like, people are going to really enjoy it. And they seemed to. Well, good. Well, done. Plus, I hadn't seen it in so long, and it's so ridiculous. I've just, I've never gotten around to it. Oh, man, should have picked it for the show. It would have lined up well. Hey, we, we've um, got more episodes to do. That's true. I unironically love it, but I can absolutely say it is absurd in some parts. Okay. Um, I don't know what it is about it. It's fascinating to me. Um, I re- now this is in my new home. I rewatched Vacancy for some reason. How I've again another movie I've just never bothered to check out. How is it? You don't need to. Okay, that's kind of what I, I thought. Rem- I remember disliking it, and Zach, I think, remembered disliking it, and we were like, I wonder I wonder if it's still, like, is it really bad? Like, I couldn't put into words why I didn't like it, so we decided to rewatch it. Um, you'll see a theme of, of road movies all of a sudden. <laughs> nice. So I was like, I kind of, I like that genre. It's one of my favorite genres, like trucker movies or road movies, and... Um, it's a good genre. It's, like, one of my favorites, and I was like, yeah, let's look at it again, and, um... I remember writing a review of it where the majority of the review was talking about um, how bloated Luke Wilson looked. And that's really, Aww. really mean. And I feel really bad about it. But that, that like goes to show really that I had bloated. nothing to say about this movie. Um, it's just whatever. Um, we watched a movie that's streaming on Netflix that it might have suggested to you. Because it kept suggesting it to me. The um, Abattoir? No, not to me. No, it's about this girl who goes back to this town because this guy steals the rooms that people die in to build one mega death house i i kind of like where this is going i just did it a lot of favors oh that's a shame <laughs> um i it wasn't awful but i really didn't get anything out of it mm. if if it if you get around to like if it suggest starts suggesting it to you then and give it a shot if you'd like. But, <laughs> give oh, it a shot out of exhaustion of uh, giving up on having when like Netflix just keeps shoving something in your face. You're like, fine, I'll fucking watch it. So you stop recommending it, it to me. Thought, it thought that I would like it. Mm. Lynn Shay is in it. I do love Lynn Shay. I follow her on Facebook. She's very positive. Oh, that's Darren Lynn Bowsman's movie. Okay, that was another reason. Oh, he did. He did that movie. I feel like I've I've. Wait, what is the name of it again? Abattoir? I might be saying it wrong. I have heard of it. I feel like I heard really good things about it, but you were not impressed. Oh, yeah. I think that we Googled it and a bunch of people were saying it was the best horror movie of last yes, year or something. I've, I have heard that as well. I remember hearing, like, because I, I like Darren Lynn Bowsman. Um, I mean, on and off, not 
mixed Not track exclusive. record. But I, I like him, I think, a lot more than a lot of other horror fans of our generation, I guess. Because I think he kind of appeals more to the generation one younger than us. Uh, and That's- our generation likes to yeah. shit on things that were successful when we were older. So therefore, our generation hates Saw and everything around it. Um I, I sometimes hate our generation, obviously. But, yeah. uh, yeah, no, I did hear good things about that. I'm going to check it out then. Okay, I forgot. Uh, my brain is scattered. But, yeah, I I wasn't expecting big things because I'm very hit or miss on him. Right. Um, I, the thing is, you know, the little, when I say, like, his shtick as far as directing goes with the fast cuts and the, like, the spooky, yeah, you know, the, very, the saw like, shit. Dark, dark lighting and lots of, uh, um, where it feels like they just took the film and like shook it back and forth. Yeah, I just wish that he would maybe stop doing that. Mm-hmm. I agree. Be- because it doesn't need to happen. Right. Because we, it's not on my list because it's not a movie, but speaking of Darren Lynn Bowsman, we rewatched my favorite episode of Fear Itself, the Darren Lynn Bowsman episode starring Brianna Evigan. Um, and he, it's such a good episode, but he does he does his shit all through yeah. it, and it's very distracting. That's a shame. Like it, it's I, one of those like you just want to sit him down and be like, because hey, I, I I saw him in person hmm. years ago. They were doing a like touring um, shadow box production of Repo. He wasn't involved oh, in it, neat. but they were doing it was like this like like Long Island like stage crew that was putting it on where they were showing the movie and they were doing the parts, and they had. Uh, participating at the end, they had a Q&A with Darren Lynn Bowsman and the guy whose name I can't remember, Terrence Zuzunalik, the guy who... Yes, Terrence Malick, <laughs> the star of Repo, the genetic opera, who plays the Little grave known. robber. He's a very versatile man, that Terrence. Uh, but so it was the two of them, and they did a Q&A, and it was... So I actually did get to see them in person. If I could go back in time, I would now go back in time and use that chance... Um, of all the things in the world I could have done with that, I would go back in time and um, tell him, by the way, I think you're a good director and think you got a really good future. You don't have to do so much shaky shit. It, and I, and it's not like I don't find him an incompetent director at all. By no means, it's just yeah. The thing that he does that people, yeah. that he's kind of, I guess, known for is something that I've never been, like, even at the height of it when people, other people were doing that as well. I was not like it was not appealing. Yeah, to me. it was very so trendy now, in like the early two mm-hmm. thousands. Yep. So now when you see it, it also makes something feel very dated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, but I mean, if it's his, if it's, it's his thing, his it's signature, if you will, then like, okay, fine, keep doing it. But that that was not the only thing I didn't like about that okay. movie. Interesting. <laughs> oh yeah. So now watch it. I will. I will. I'd like to hear what you think. Mm-hmm. I will tell you. Okay. Well, um, I only have a few left. So, Scarecrow Video is here, which is super exciting. Okay. That big video store. Oh, nice. That sounds exciting. It's, like, apparently one of the biggest, maybe in the country. I'm not sure. There aren't many left, so if it's still standing, it's one of the biggest. It it has some really impressive designation. I've always seen pictures of it. It's two floors, and it looks really impressive. So, we went last weekend, and I was, like well, we have to get something. We have to rent something because we're here. So we rented the Hitcher and the Hitcher. The the originals? Yep, the original, the original, and then the remake. Oh, God. So um, (laughs) I love the original. It is a mean movie. I've never seen that movie, which is shocking because of my love of, like, 
you know, I like road games and Joyride. Yeah, I like, and this is like the ultimate one because mm-hmm. it's it's totally that, and it's so brutal. And I and it's got Rutger in it, like prime yeah. Rutger. Pro- oh my god, prime Rutger. So I was like, yes, I would definitely like to see this. And then Zach had interesting input about the remake, and I was like, okay, well, let's get both of them. Um, so. The Hitcher, starring Rutger Hauer, is so fucking good. Oh, God, it's so good. I'm, I was so worried. I'm like, oh, God, is no. she not going to have liked it? I'm so. It's one of those movies where you watch it and you go like, well, why did I wait so long to watch yeah. this? I saw it as a kid because, again, I saw all these movies as a kid. And then, like, it, it always stayed in my head because, I mean, that's such a brutal movie. Yeah. And it's like I always remembered everything about it. But then I rewatched it maybe, like, five years ago. So I was like, you know what? It's been a while since I've sat down to watch this movie. And I was, I was so impressed. I'm like, wow, this, this is so much better than anybody gave it credit for when mm-hmm. it came out. Yeah, it's, it's impressive on a lot of yeah. levels. Like, the stunts in it are nuts. Yeah. They're really great. And it is, it is mean and it's unrelenting. And Rucker's really good in it. Yep. And C. Thomas Howell, I guess, is good in it. Whatever. Jennifer Jason Lee. Yes, Jennifer Jason Lee. So it's good. And also there's this, like, really interesting thing it does with the pacing. Like, it never – it doesn't feel like it's paced in a real traditional way. Yeah. So you never really know where you are. Yep. And the tension is – is, is always high so it's not like typical rise and falls of action mm-hmm. it's really unnerving yeah so and i was really impressed with it yeah what did you think of the remake so i hated it yeah right like this there was, was too the... much music in oh my it. god this was the prime age of because i like i'm really positive about remakes these days mm-hmm. like now i look at a remake i'm like hey if it works it's great if it doesn't work oh well like it didn't you know it brought more people to the original like hey sometimes you can do something really interesting or blah blah blah. but this was that era where i was where it came out and i watched it one night and i was like oh my god if they remake anything else i'm gonna kill people because that remake is so bad (laughs) yeah you're you're right there is this block of uh, remakes or modernizations of things that that do like like really in, like weird casting to put really kind of almost inept pretty people in it not specifically this but just in general and tend to lay way too much like modern music into yeah. it and this definitely fits that bill like um i'm not saying the acting was particularly bad it wasn't memorable it's fine and like, I, like it's, it's, what is it? it's so way Bush, too I much think. music yeah and it's styled uh, weird and styled weird and the pacing is completely different they're very very um and conscious it's re- to keep it's ridiculous like sean bean in that movie who I, I love sean bean and i love evil sean bean but like he is a super villain to the most ridiculous degree what he is able to do in that movie is just insane he's cartoonish yes. and not menacing yeah, yeah and the movie has its tone is so odd and i don't understand like it, it it's trying to wink at it or it's just trying to be straightforward but it's not good enough to be straightforward mm-hmm. yeah it's it's very it's very um committed to what it keeps in but then changes other stuff completely right and it doesn't really make sense like why are you why yeah. are you choosing to be so like like so buy the books on some of this stuff but then you go you throw it completely out the window and then do something that makes no sense yeah and everybody is really stupid in it yeah um yeah yeah there's there's a lot of things right like there's like when the cops show up and it's just like oh my you like 
real like it, it's one of those moments where the characters are unbelievably unrealistically dumb yeah and it takes so much away from an already not very good movie mm-hmm. um i thought because zach was like you it, it's kind of cool how i don't know if i'm spoiling this for anybody but so they they make the choice to have it be two characters it's a couple it's a couple from the beginning. It's not like a, a female character gets introduced and they don't immediately put her in a fridge. They don't get rid right. of her. She actually is the one that... Yeah, she is more the, the lead. Why the heck could not have been better? Yeah. Like, it ends up just feeling... Yeah, like, it ends up that you're like, okay, that's an idea. Like, you could make this into a sort of, you know, couple on the run and now, like, that's challenging. But they don't do anything interesting with it where it in- instead it's just, oh, actually, you've lost something really uh that worked well in the original which was that it was this single guy all alone yeah. and they could have just done a straight gender swap and it would have been that could have been a hundred times more interesting. yeah and you could have done a lot with that and instead they instead it's very odd because it, like sophia bush is the main character so like he's sort of after her and you're like is it sex is is it sexual and like uh-huh. the movie doesn't know and the movie like randomly will throw something in there but like it's not committed to it and it's just bad it's really bad hmm. yeah man oh my i remember being so angry yeah uh, oh, i think it's a good thing i don't think i had facebook when that came out or when i watched it because i bet i probably would have written and i didn't have a blog at the time this was before then because i'm sure i would have written like nine thousand words on why I, why that movie was so awful to me yeah it definitely watching them back to back which is what we did um highlighted the failings of the of the remake for sure because you just watch this thing that's like feels feels timeless in a way like i get it's obviously not new but it doesn't feel like it feels contemporary in in, in a lot of the stuff that it does and then you watch this other thing that feels so dated and and so so of its time and i mean dated in a way where it's what like 10 years ago but it's I, so it, <laughs> it feels really and maybe date is the wrong word maybe i will lean into stale like it feels right. like ugh, was this ever like a relevant movie it, is and this just ever- trendy like that was the trend of the early 2000s remakes was you take take an uh, older property and you cast hot cw actors in it and you either pg-13 it up or you go for a hard r rating without any of the but purely for the violence not for the content not for the nudity not mm-hmm. for like the attitude just you know you make it grosser and it you know i mean there we we everybody trashes on like the last generation and you know the current everything but no there's there's some great stuff from that era but it's the same way we look now at slashers in the 80s and we can you know stick our hand in a pile of vhs's and pull up a bunch to say oh yeah these are all shitty movies of the slasher genre Mm -hmm. and they all are sharing this trope and this trope and this trope you can do the same thing with movies made in 2005 that were remakes of old horror movies yeah yeah there's some hidden gems in there but you know certainly this is not no it's not one of them um so Netflix added some stuff while I was traveling and getting my internets up. So we checked it out and we were like, oh, hey, this is streaming. And and um, clicking by and you see the thumbnails. And I made a joke. I said, huh, who's in mid- Who's that midnight meat train? Bradley Cooper. And Zach was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually. Like, Bradley is, Cooper is, and Brooke Shields and Vinnie Jones. I said, 
fuck you he's not in that movie and he is so i watched it i had no idea he was in that movie what did you i have Uh, not watched it since it came out i remember renting it and being severely disappointed because everybody loved it and i did not what did you think of it i guess i mean lukewarm on it okay Uh, yeah a lot of things in it didn't i make sense but then you know it was pointed out i don't want to spoil it midnight meat train for anybody um I guess I won't. I mean, there are things in it that make it not exist in reality. Okay. So, like, maybe I shouldn't be asking these questions. Mm. But, like, I feel like I can. I feel like your movie can be outside of reality, but, like, still <laughs> make sense. It's a que- It's funny as you say that because I'm thinking, like, how relevant that question is to sleepwalkers. <laughs> Where it's yes. like, look, I can buy that you're telling me a ridiculous story with a ridiculous setup. But you need to give me some rules, because otherwise I'm constantly questioning why characters aren't doing this if they can do this. Yep, yep, yep. A million times, yes. Yeah. So I didn't, I didn't love it by any means. I thought there were some some interesting acting choices mm-hmm. in it, um, but I didn't, I didn't hate it. Okay. I don't necessarily. Oh, the CGI blood though. I couldn't keep. My I remember that being that. awful. Yeah, it was it was really bad and it really took you out a couple times yeah um like oof and i remember thinking remember one of my biggest problems with it was that i thought the title was so great like that's a great title for a movie oh i loved it and it gives you such a um you hear that title and i think i'm gonna get a very particular kind of movie and that movie is not the movie i think i'm getting from that title (laughs) Uh, yeah thinking about that there's a movie called a horrible way to die and again, it sounds like, okay, I get what I'm watching. And then you watch it, you're like, oh no, that's not what I thought at all. Yes, and it's like, it's a great title, but that is the wrong title for that movie. Yeah. I, you know, Leslie Bibb is in it as well. And I really like Leslie Bibb. And I, like, I'm pro Bradley Cooper for the most part. Like, I, I find like him, him a lot, actually. Attractive and charismatic. And I like yeah. when he speaks French. Um, I, and, you know, I, I have eyeballs. I see him. Um, <laughs> but I don't know, like... He wasn't. I maybe yeah. because I, my expectations were super high. Like I was some like, people yeah, fucking love gonna, that movie. He's gonna deliver in this role, and then it was like, oh, he's just in this movie, huh? Yeah, <laughs> and really it wastes Vinnie Jones too. Like Vinnie Jones is so great, and it doesn't yeah. it does a weird thing with him. And yeah. it seems like it's and, one of those like, why did you cast Vinnie Jones as this? That's a really good point too, and I think Zach said something similar. Like it does feel it does feel a bit wasted, yeah. and also like the. The, the, you know, the climax, the, you know, the big reveal, I guess it's not really a reveal. I don't even but remember like, it. The thing that happens is treated like a what moment, but like the minute the movie started, I was like, this is what's <laughs> going to happen. I thought we were all on the same page. Right, right. And then when the movie ends and it's like, look at this thing you didn't expect. Did. I'm like, wait, I did. But <laughs> I, th- I, d- I thought we were all expecting that. <laughs> It's it's definitely it was definitely strange and that was a movie where I just kept I just kept saying why are you doing this why is right. that like this why would you do this why don't you do that well that doesn't make sense and I'm trying to like rationalize train mm-hmm. schedules and shit ah. and that's not it's not what the movie's about but I, I remember thinking get... that too I'm like wait really there's no train at all nobody's waiting for the train right now 
And like, so does he just stay on it and wait for it to empty yeah, out? I'm like sorry. Like, it's never that empty. Is... Like, you're never really on an empty trip. I'm like, okay, obviously the movie's, like, filmed in Canada somewhere. But still, like, it's never like that. No, it was actually all filmed mostly in, like, Burbank and L.A. Oh, really? Huh. I, I looked because I'm like, what train system is this supposed to be? That's another thing that really upset me. Because I couldn't, I didn't, wasn't familiar with it visually. So I was like, I have to find out where they are. Right. But then, like, so does he go up and down all the cars and check and make sure? Like, I didn't, I got yeah. really irritated about the wrong things. See, I'm glad to hear you say that because I, I keep seeing people talk about it. Because like, it must have, like, never been on Netflix and now suddenly it is. So I keep seeing a lot of people have been posting about it. And I'm like, you know, maybe I gave it, maybe I was, like, too hard on it. Maybe I should give it another chance. And now I'm like, yeah, no, I'm good. No, nah, and then Leslie Bibbs is super sacrificial lamb in it. I remember and like, that. I'm kind yeah. of at a point where I don't have I don't have energy to deal with that. Yep. Like stop it. Yeah. Get, do something better. Do something different. Yeah, I, I recall uh, that. Yeah, okay. I'm I'm glad to hear that my initial review is confirmed. Yeah, I tend to like eh, whatever. And my last movie was a wild hair watch of um a big fan, the Patton Oswald. Oh, I see. Um, I have Science not watched. I love Patton Oswalt. I have not watched that movie because I feel like it's it seems really depressing, and I do, don't want to put myself through it. Um, it's not as depressing as you think. Okay, it's it's not like super peppy and like it's not a feel good movie, but it's not like you know what movie I don't want to rewatch because it bums me out. The Fan Pat- with Robert De Niro and Wesley Snipes. Yeah, no, for different reasons though. But Patton Oswalt is also in Young Adult. Um, yeah, and that movie really so makes me upset when I watch it. Yeah, but it's so good. So it's, it's really good. So, but he's he's really good in this, and it. I'm glad we watched it. it but it didn't make me upset or like depressed. But I definitely don't feel the need to ever rewatch it. Okay. Because it was just like. Eh. I can't, if anything, it made me, like, want to, like, take a shower and give somebody a hug. Yeah, yeah. See, I, I've i long wondered if I should watch it, and it's just every time I'm like, I feel like it's going to make me sad and uncomfortable. You should, if you, if you see it, like, you should, because it's, it's funny, and there's some, there's some really interesting stuff, and the structure of it is really great. It flows really well. It's got a good pace. Okay. Um, it does feel like rote territory. It's, it's fresher ideas, so... Okay. All right. That's my that's my um endorsement. All right. That's your list as well. That's my list. All right. Uh, I have a pretty big list because it had been a good chunk of time since we recorded. Uh, well, pl- and also because remember we kept getting cut off last time we recorded, so I have some lingering ones that I didn't get to talk about. Fun. Uh, so let me start with um on TCM Underground. I recorded a movie um whose title I am gonna so okay when I recorded it on TCM the movie was called boss mm-hmm. now you might know what movie i'm talking about because it's generally referred to as boss n-word but me mm-hmm. being a white person i'm not going to go on record as saying the n-word so no i know n-word. i know of that movie i don't think i've ever seen it though. yeah it's, it's fred williamson um fred williams fred williamson mm-hmm. fred williamson yeah, thank you uh as a you know it's black exploitation it's a black exploitation western uh, he shambles into a town with his partner, and they, you know, the, of course, everybody's racist, and they show him who's boss. Um, it is a, you know, it is dumb, but it also is really funny, and it has a lot of very, like, kind of smart, back-at-you racists 
uh, jokes, mm-hmm. which are very rewarding, I think. So I'm, I'm glad I finally got to watch it. Uh, a couple of documentaries. One was called The Galapagos Affair. Ooh. From a couple of years ago, uh, maybe like 10 years ago or so. This is a documentary that tells the story of a couple of Germans in the 30s who moved to the Galapagos to basically be like completely alone. Like there was this couple, he was a uh, psychiatrist who was trying to be like a Sigmund Freud-esque writer and like mind. And his uh, wife, who like was also interested in writing, they moved there to be mm-hmm. alone. And then shortly after, another couple, only these this couple with kids, moves there as well. And then a baroness moves there. So it's kind of, it's all told through letters. Uh, and there's a couple of like really interesting people doing the voices. Kate Blanchett and I think uh, Diane Kruger do um, like do do the narration as different characters. And mm-hmm. I dug this. Because if it, the subject matter is interesting, it's just these a couple of different people living on an island in the 1930s, and sort of how tension started to rise. Eventually, um, more people come, and one or two are maybe murdered, maybe just die, maybe leave the island. Nobody knows to this day. So hmm. it's building all this mystery from letters, and they, they're able to interview a couple of people that. Uh, lived on the island or near the island that were raised like in this very weird cocoon of well my parents wanted to get away from Sweden and from everybody around them so they moved to an island and I've only ever known three people my whole life it was really interesting it was hmm. a Netflix disc, so I don't know how easy it is. To oh, I was gonna, I was gonna ask you where you yeah got a- um all of our documentaries were rentals they weren't streaming. Uh, the next one we watched was called The Unknown Soldier. It was a German documentary about a... It kind of starts with this museum exhibit in... I think it was in Berlin, uh, where... This was in, like, the early 2000s. They were... It was a history museum, and the exhibit was really controversial in Germany because what it was, it was about the German army during World War II. Mm-hmm. So this was a, a really interesting to watch because I learned a lot that I didn't know. Like when we think of as Americans, when we think of Germany in World War II, we think of Nazis. And we think, mm-hmm. you know, if you were fighting in Germany, you were a Nazi. But apparently there were the Nazis and the SS, but then there was the actual army, uh, which was civilians and, and army, I guess, who were not necessarily SS officers or kind of high in command Nazis, and who may have been working in concentration camps, may not have. And that's what the documentary kind of follows is it's, it's kind of, I guess, general knowledge in Germany that, no, if you were in the Russian army, most people, you, you had to pretty much do what Nazis did. Um, Some people may have been able to get out of it and they basically left and left the country but that, like, no, most people, if you were in the German army during World War II, like, you did some bad shit. Mm-hmm. And this is apparently a very controversial um, concept in Germany to some people who say, no, 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 my grandfather was in German army and he wasn't a Nazi, he didn't do that. And this documentary was really fascinating and really, um, it's, it's very upsetting. It wouldn't have been as upsetting two years ago to watch, hmm. but you watch it I, now yeah. Because it becomes very much about, it opens up all these questions about how how long does it take for generations to start rewriting and re-understanding history? 
Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in the 1950s, let's say everybody in Germany knew exactly what had gone on. But now it's, you know, by the 2000s where there's more distance, you can start to look at it and say, well, no, 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 it didn't happen quite like that. Or, yeah, well, this was happening, but it wasn't, our family wasn't involved in that. And it's really disturbing. And uh, just, again, you put it in context, and there's kind of a theme to a lot of other things I watched this week where that kind of happens, Mm -hmm. of this very scary political reality of, um, you know, stuff you got to be aware of. And it's scary. And it was kind of upsetting, but a good documentary. So I do recommend it. Uh What colored all your choices? What? These were actually, um, it was a very simple one. Brannon uh, happened to be, these were the discs he was getting from Netflix. Uh, so hmm. he has very a very, like, like for me, when I'm like my Netflix DVD queue is like meticulously managed, right? Like I have all my long waits at the top. Uh, if something new comes out and I really want to watch it, I'm going to put that at the top. I'm like, as soon as I return a DVD, I check to make sure that, like, I know what I'm getting next, so I want it to be a good one. Like, I handle, I micromanage my Netflix queue. Mm-hmm. With Brandon, like, he made his queue a couple of years ago, and he adds things to it all the time, but, like, he just goes in order. So one day he's like, he gets a movie, he's like, oh, I don't remember what that is, what this movie is or why I put it on here. Do you want to watch it? And so that's how we ended up watching these several documentaries. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, the next documentary was, I think you would really like this. It was called Casting By. Okay. Sounds uh, this, good. It's a documentary about casting agents and or casting directors and goes a little bit through the history of that uh, and how it used to basically be somebody just picking headshots and saying from a, you know, studio contract system and saying, okay, we'll put Joan Crawford in this and we'll, her love interest will be him because, you know, he's in, under contract and how mm-hmm. it evolved, obviously, to picking you know, the right people for the right parts. Um, it focuses on a woman whose name I can't remember, who's sort of like considered the sort of founder of modern day casting. And they do like talk a lot about specific movies and specific actors. And they, they get interviews with a lot of great actors. So you have, um, they talk a lot about Midnight Cowboy and uh, like all the different actors that were considered for those parts. And they, and John Voight is interviewed in it. And, uh, you know, has a lot to say about it, and it's really interesting. Um, so, any, I think, and again, it's one of those fields that, uh, like, we all are curious about casting. None of us really know how it works. I assumed yeah. that it purely worked by, oh yeah, the casting agent is the one that's picking like supporting actors and like you know the extras kind of thing. But it seems like it's the kind of thing that varies by movie. And in a lot of cases, no, it's the casting director is sitting there often with the director and producers and saying, like, you know, I think you need to consider this person for the movie. So they have, it seems, more influence than I thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's well worth watching. Again, this was a disc, but it may be streaming somewhere for all I know. So I Yeah, I go. like stuff like that. Yeah, I, I think I you would really enjoy it. Yeah. And they also talk, I mean, it's one of the the few film in- industries that is still predominantly female. Uh, and there's, you know, probably different reasons for that. And it's, again, just kind of makes it interesting to see. Mm-hmm. And it's very funny, too. There's a lot of, like, genuine, funny interviews. And Glenn Close talks about her first, um, when she met with the casting director. And, like, she had been told that 
the casting director kind of, or like somebody had told her like, oh, you kind of have like a young Catherine Hepburn feel to you. So she says how like when she met with the casting director, she like put on a Catherine Hepburn voice. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's a fun one. I recommend it. Um, let me go through a couple of the classic films that I recorded off of TCM. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, did I talk about An American in Paris last time? Did you? I don't know. Uh, if, it might have gotten cut off. I can't remember. But this is obviously Gene Kelly, considered one of the greatest musicals of all time. Uh, I was a little disappointed. Hmm. Uh, really? And you hadn't seen it before? I had not seen it, No. And I've seen, I mean, I love Gene Kelly. I will watch him in anything, and he's amazing in it. He's beautiful to watch. He's fantastic. He's funny. He's charming. He's everything. But the movie itself, I thought, had really odd pacing. The love story I didn't connect to. The plotting was odd. Uh, I don't know. I, I Maybe somebody can tell me what I'm missing. Because, I mean, the costumes and all the musical sequences were great. I could watch them all day long. But the movie around it, I found incredibly mediocre so i'm curious if there's any like diehard fans out there that can defend it to me but i didn't see the magic and i was very surprised uh another classic 1930 something's the women mm-hmm. have you ever I watched know, this i don't know if i know what this is okay this is i believe it was george cooker directing uh but this is a movie that stars all women. There are no men in the cast. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of very well-known... Joan Crawford's in it. Um, I think... Is it Nora, Norma Shearer? Uh, and... Is it Joan Fontaine? Like, it's a really incredible cast of movie stars of the 1930s. And it's all about women. And that's awesome. You know, it's not awesome... The fact that all the women do is talk about men. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, what yeah. else are they going to talk about? No, it's, it's kind of, um, it's worth watching. And I'm sure, I think like any movie person should sit down and watch it because it's, uh, it's interesting how they do it, first of all. And as far as a movie, it's, it's so 1930s, fast talking. It takes place in a couple of locations, but one of the, one of them is um like a a spa where you know women are getting their nails done and everything else. Mm-hmm. And it's like and the way it's shot and the way it's move the camera moves and it's just women gossiping at all time. Like it's a really interestingly made film for that time. Uh, it's just also and it's very funny. Like I did actually chuckle quite a bit. It's just very frustrating when you watch it now because you're because. Um, you know, the movie starts with, you know, the one woman's husband has left her for Joan Crawford and, you know, and Joan Crawford is awful in the movie and is this terrible woman. So it's, it's very much a movie that doesn't really like certain kind of women. And then towards the Mm -hmm. end, you're like, okay, well, you know, maybe it's going to resolve. Oh, she's going to go back to her husband, isn't she? Oh, that's really problematic. Apparently, they made a remake in, like, 2000 with Annette Bening and Meg Ryan and uh, this pretty interesting cast. And I remember when it came out, and I remember it kind of got panned, but I'm kind of curious to check it out. Because I wonder how they updated it and if they did feminize it a bit. Another one from TCM, The Ghost Ship, which was also a Val Luton-produced film. Um, I was literally just looking at this in the video store. Ah, it's interesting because it is not um, it's not supernatural, but it is a pretty good thriller. It's set mm-hmm. on a boat. 
there's a, a you know a young officer and he starts to think that the captain might be kind of a bad dude and so it's just like a little bit of tension and crazy stuff happens but not that crazy it's very short uh not as like grand or exciting as cat people but <laughs> what is though i mean exactly it, it's well, sleepwalkers uh <laughs> the ghost ship was a it's a solid recommend one of these days don't expect a lot from it mm, uh, but it, it's worth a watch uh, another movie, well worth a watch, that I had, I think I have recorded this movie on three different DVRs off of TCM, but I never sat down and watched it. And I finally decided to, because I kept seeing it pop up in articles about movies that are really relevant to our time. And I am, of course, speaking about A Face in the Crowd. Elia Kazan, uh, starring everybody's favorite uh, town sheriff, Andy Griffith. Griffin? Griffith? I cannot get anything right today. Eh, it's you okay. Know, I can't know. ever. Anyways. Um, but you know the movie I'm talking about, of course. Do I? I'm, well, I mean, it's considered like a giant classic. and Look, stuff. I don't know anything. <laughs> That's true. Anything. You had not previously seen Sleepwalkers, so. <laughs> yes, I have. Oh, 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 right. Okay. I have a good story about it. Okay, you hadn't seen The Hitcher. That's um, true. That's true. <laughs> I'm looking at it right now on the IMDb's. Is it ringing any bells? Like, surely you've seen it pop up a lot in like recent dis- discourse, if you will, because it is about a um, a small town. It starts off. It's a radio station, and they're doing a segment where they're interviewing prisoners in the local jail. And there's this uh, one fella who has a guitar. And he, you know, kind of oh, a I know sensation. that when you when you scroll through pictures on IMDb, it gives you like alternate images like dvd images okay. or posters and stuff there is one i definitely recognize yeah. Yeah. the thing that's showing up i don't know yeah it shows up a lot recently in a lot of articles basically saying what are some movies that predicted the rise of donald trump mm-hmm. uh, and network is one of those that comes up a lot and this is yeah because this is about a sort of you know crazy but charismatic guy who is able to get on TV or get on the radio and talk in a way that people connect to and Mm -hmm. people like to hear. And he tells people things they want to hear. And, you know, you realize how much power this man has over the world. Uh, And it's really good. Uh, A a young Walter Matthau is in it. And I say young, like Walter Matthau was never really young. He's not really young in this, but like, he's still kind of young. Who's the woman in it? Is it, um, I can't think of the female, but the female is like the, not the female lead, but one of the female leads is somebody who went on to stuff. Um, but I mean, Andy Griffin, Andy Griffin, Andy Griffith, Andy Griffin. Um, I'm, Andy Griffith. Andy Griffith. Thank you. You know what? Cause is it Melanie <laughs> Griffith or Melanie Griffin? Now I don't know. We I know. I'm sorry. So I've, I've destroyed everything, but he's fantastic <laughs> in this movie. He is and especially if you know him from the Andy Griffith show, uh, he is playing the complete opposite of that character in this. And he is horrifying and wonderful. And it, this is the kind of movie, because the whole thing is, I don't want to spoil it, but let's say um, it might involve him speaking when he doesn't know the microphone is on and what that does to his career. And you think, oh, isn't that cute? Back in the 50s, they thought, a man saying something like this would destroy him. Well, I mean, I mean, yeah, that used to be the way it was, even back in that episode of The Simpsons, where Gabbo 
the oh, yeah, ventriloquist dummy yep. says really mean stuff and everyone hears them. But we don't live in those times No, we anymore. do not. No, no. 2016 changed all that. So yep. I do recommend watching A Face in the Crowd. Another one off of TCM. As you know, I record anything that has like nuclear bomb in the description. And yep. that included the movie Split Second, which is another movie in the 50s about um, a... A couple of guys have, I think, escaped from prison and robbed a bank. And somehow they end, basically, they end up kidnapping a person or three and they are hiding out in Nevada on what is going to be a nuclear testing site at five in the morning. So it's this, you know, these guys are holding these people hostage and these people, the hostages are like, hey, guys, we're going to die if you don't let us go. But they're like, no, well, we're not ready to let you go because we can't get out of here yet and you're our ticket out and all that. So it's kind of a tense, <laughs> oh, my God, are they going to get out of here before a nuclear bomb is set? Uh, it was pretty good. It was okay. Interesting. Oh, okay. Not that great, was... but... Uh... A little lukewarm. I thought you were really going to dig that. No, I mean, I liked it. I didn't love it. Yeah. But... Interesting. Um, I rewatched a movie I had not watched since I was a kid, and that was another... Um, sci-fi for this one from the 70s and that is Soylent Green. I've never <gasps> seen this. Oh. Um it's well I whew. so I saw it when I was a kid <laughs> and remember just kind of enjoying it and kind of thinking like it was so 70s and so dated. Um rewatching it it's I think it's kind of underrated in some ways because I think it's treated very much as sort of 70s sci-fi crap. Mm-hmm. But it actually has some really interesting things going for it. Like visually, there's it's visually it's great. Like I really like it's that very 70s version of a future except it you know it it does it makes it grimy and the whole the concept of this is that like the earth is just overpopulated. So it's always crowded and everybody is sweaty. Uh, I mean, Charlton Heston is doing his, like, best Charlton Heston. Edward mm-hmm. G. Robinson is so good. I guess he was filming this as he was dying. And it's one of those performances that, like, you feel that. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, like, really, every time he's on screen, you're just kind of, like, everything goes up a couple of levels. And it's... The only downside is basically if you know the big reveal, which most people know, then it does take something away because that is kind of the, you know, where the movie is driving to. So when you Mm -hmm. know that, it certainly is like, okay, this movie is is essentially a detective story, but I know how it ends. Uh, So it, it doesn't work on all cylinders because of that. So if you don't know the ending, then, hey, don't read anything about it and sit down and watch it. But if you do, like, yeah, it takes a little bit away, but it's still enjoyable. I liked it much more than I thought I did. That's probably why I've never watched it. Yeah. Because, I mean, we not that it's a punchline, but we know the punchline. Exactly. I know the punchline, but I haven't. That's why I saw the movie when I was a kid, because yeah. there was a Saturday Night Live skit with Phil Hartman. And after that, I'm like, oh, what's this movie? Oh, that sounds interesting. I'm going to rent it. Like, so that was why I even sought it out. Uh But I think it's still worth watching around that. I think there's a lot, there's a lot of interesting things going on. And Mm -hmm. the cast is pretty good. And you get like, like Chuck Connors is in it, uh, which, which is kind of neat to see. (laughs) And, um, 
after I watched it, I decided to read the book. And it was fascinating because I read, because like, first of all, the book doesn't have the same uh, twist, if you will, or reveal. Mm-hmm. And the book, like, I didn't really like the book. <laughs> it was a case where I really enjoyed the movie way more than the book, just because I thought the book was kind of speculative science fiction, but that it stopped being interesting about, uh, you know, 100 pages in, became a detective story for a case that didn't matter, because even in the book, you know, you know, you know about the crime, so you have a your main character is trying to solve this crime that you already know about and then you don't have the big reveal and you have kind mm-hmm. of a typical 70s where all the female characters are kind of ditzes and useless uh and it and then the last like 50 pages are just um a treatise on birth control and overpopulation and not done in a poetic way just in a character hmm. lecturing so i mean hey the book was better the movie was better than the book so there interesting uh, okay, I have a couple more. Uh, also on TCM, which I will remind you stands for Turner Classic Movies. Yep. Uh, this one I'm sure you've seen. It is certainly beloved in our film community. And that is the classic of American cinema, 1980-somethings, Hard Ticket to Hawaii. Yeah, the classic. Classic. You've seen it? Yeah, a long time ago. I don't really remember it. Yeah, I mean, it's very, like, Miami Connection-esque. It is completely ridiculous action of the 80s where everything about it is insane um you have like your female cops who are wearing the shortest shorts that ever shorted Mm -hmm. and the movie has not one but two theme songs called hard ticket to hawaii yep it's really glorious and if you're feeling sad definitely watch it because it will make you happy (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's a good endorsement, I'd yeah. say. Uh, I watched a couple of adaptations of 1984. Like I said, this is when I was saying how there's, you know, a bit of a theme. Yeah, I sense that. Yeah, well, I'm I'm doing a projection booth episode next week where we're covering... <gasps> Are you? Yeah, we're covering 1984. And I think we're primarily talking about the 80 adaptation, or the 84 adaptation, but, like, I've also watched kind of every other adaptation so far that's out there. Oh, no, have, you done it, have you done it before, the show? I have, yes. Hmm, interesting. I've never been asked back. That's oh. fine, though. Well, you know. Mm, whatever. It, it is you. I mean, I know. we all know My about Muppet that. My Muppet voice. That... <laughs> Your adorable <laughs> Muppet voice. Uh, well, that's exciting. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to it. Toing it, toing it, to doing yep. it. Yep, toing uh, it. Want to know something funny? Donald yes. Pleasance was in a lot of 1984 movies. <laughs> Was he really? Is He's the in fog in 1984? No, I meant movies, oh. uh, movie, movie I, adaptations of the book 1984. Oh, I thought you meant he was literally in a lot of films in the year 1984. Oh, I'm sure he was as well. What, but he was in at many... least two different adaptations playing two different was characters. Really? Yeah. How many years apart? Uh, briefly. They were like two years apart. Oh, there are two that are that close? Yeah, I no one idea. of them I think was made for TV. One of them was You're a feature clearly film. clearly the ex- yeah, there's one with Peter Cushing, which is pretty neat. So, uh, yeah, who knew? There's a lot of... I thought there was just the one adaptation. I didn't realize there were, like, 20 that came out in the 50s, but... Uh, That's... There's really that many? There, Well, there's th- there were three versions from the 50s that I've watched so far. Wow. And again, one I of would, them, I think, I was, like, an, an hour-long, like, made-for-TV version uh, one of them, I think, I think another one was also made for TV, and then the other one, I think, was a feature film. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, a lot of people were adapting 1984 back then. Wow. 
can't imagine anybody wanting to revisit that material now. I mean, so nope. so not relevant to our times. <laughs> <laughs> Another movie, actually, that ends up being very relevant to our times, but it's a newer movie. Uh, Jeff Nichols' Loving. Oh, I didn't actually get to see it when it was in the theater. I had every intention to. Did you enjoy it? I hate to say it, but I loved it. Why do you hate to say it? Because it's called loving. Oh, so loving. Like, I was loving, loving. <laughs> Sorry, I'm really slow on yeah. the, the update today. It's Friday. Today. It's been a long time. Um, I'm just not used to your comic timing. <laughs> <laughs> of, of which uh, I am an ace. So, uh, yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, you should watch this. It's really, really good. Yeah, I I wanted to get to the theater to see it, but yeah. I don't know. Like sometimes you know, it's I mean, tough. you know, sometimes no, it's, it's tough as you feel like you're committing like know, a huge girl. chunk of your day. I don't know. It is. Oh, believe me, I'll get to that. Cuz it no, I, again, I don't know what your situation now. For me it takes like 45 minutes to get to the theater. Then mm-hmm. you it's like 30 minutes of trailers and then 45 minutes to get home. And that's if the subways are running right. So yeah, it ends up being like a 4-hour excursion to go see an hour and a half movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's definitely not, or wasn't that bad in Austin. Right. But still, like, I mean, the theater was, wasn't was that large, so you'd really have to get there before to make sure mm-hmm. well, you, you weren't <laughs> sitting in the front row, and it was just like, ugh. That's why the world should move to assigned seats. But yes, I won't go I, off that again. <laughs> I don't disagree with you on that. Okay. It's, so when we would go to the Alamo, which wasn't often the draft house because yeah. we weren't close to a draft, like that close to a draft house, um, it was always, it felt reassuring to buy your tickets first, pick your seat, yep. and just know that you could show up at a reasonable yeah, and it's time. There. It's there for you waiting. I love it. Yeah. And not like stake out an hour before. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Uh, loving is really good. Yeah. Uh, and I, I figured it would be, but I had heard... Like, the complaint I think I'd heard waged against it was people saying, like, oh, well, it's like, it's not, like, it's such a quiet movie, and it doesn't have, like, a big moment. And I remember when people were talking about it, like, as, like, a possible Oscar contender, and people were saying, like, it's, you know, it's not big enough for the Oscars. And that's what's fascinating about it, I think, is that if you were to have given this story to a lot of other directors, the movie would have won Oscars and would have been nominated for everything. Mm-hmm. And you know what? It wouldn't have been as good a movie because it's, Interesting. it is so good and so quiet. And it's not, it's just a movie about two people who love each other, who love each other in a time when that wasn't okay. And uh, they don't really want to make a big thing of it. They just want to live together as husband and wife. So they're not going to go to court and stand there and give a big speech. And they're not going to, you know, have those big Oscar moments because that wasn't the story of these two people. You're really selling me on it. Oh, I, I mean, I, I don't want to, like, oversell it, but I loved it so much and I think you will, too. Yeah, you're saying all the, all the right things yeah. because, yeah. And, like, Michael Shannon's only in it for, like, five minutes and I still loved it that much. Mm, so there. That's very heartwarming. Exactly. So yeah, yeah I'm definitely going to have to see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, another movie that was nominated for Best Actress, I watched Paul Verhoeven's L with Isabelle Huppert. So I've heard... Okay, so a lot of people... Mm. <laughs> what did you think? Um, it's No, it, it is a movie that I think many people are going to hate, many people are going to yeah. love, many people are going to be offended by. Um... I really enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. Now, I'm a huge Paul Verhoeven fan. That's part of that. And I also think Isabelle Huppert is a goddess. So that's another part of that. 
And I can understand this movie upsetting people or infuriating them. Mm-hmm. But I actually felt really, um, I'm like, okay, you're, you're pushing buttons and you're clearly like maybe trying to push things a, a little farther because it's so easy to do in a way. You know, you have the, the story is there is this woman at the very start of the movie, she is raped. And the movie is then essentially about, you know, the fallout from that and how she doesn't follow the standard victim role. She doesn't go to the police mm-hmm. for, for a couple of reasons. She doesn't, you know, uh, you know, she is a quote unquote unlikable woman. She is sleeping with her best friend's husband. She doesn't stop doing that. Like, there's all of those things that are built in there to like challenge you about this woman. But she's also like, I also just loved her. She's a, this badass corporate, you know, runs a, owns a video game company and doesn't take shit from her male employees. And I found this movie worked for me. I was connected to it. I could see why it might upset people, but I felt I'm like, no, but he's not. I don't think, you know, I don't think, I think that there's more to it. And I think it's, and it's funny. I found it very funny. Hmm. Uh, I don't know. It's, I'm, I'm very curious what you think of it. Um, the Faculty of Horror just did an episode of, of it, and it was a great episode. And the two hosts completely disagreed on it, which was really great to hear. Because I think it is a movie that um, is going to split many people down the middle. Interesting. So, have you, like, not watched it yet because you're kind of, I, meh, or what? I haven't watched it yet because I feel like it's going to be really heavy. It, weirdly, it's not. Oh, I don't okay, know. I mean... Not- it it is in some ways, but I think it's actually it, it's it's like if I had to classify it, I would probably call it a black comedy more than okay. it, like black comedy dramedy. Like it's it is not because of that character, because um, essentially it's about this woman who's raped and kind of says, "Well, that's not going to define me. I've had enough shit in my life where I'm not going to stop everything for this." Mm-hmm. And you know what? Maybe I'm going to find a way to take control of this and maybe almost make it mine. And it, it's I think it's fascinating. And I'm sure there's great essays out there written about it. Um I did not find it depressing at all. I found it kind of um uh almost I don't want to say empowering it's a, it's an odd term but like maybe that's a word I'd use I'm not sure I'd have to think a little more on it but I really want to hear what you think of it yeah I I definitely want to see it so what I'm finding is I follow a lot of people on Twitter so I try to follow a lot of female yep voices on Twitter um like film critics pop culture critics essayists and stuff sure. what I'm finding is I am often feeling a bit left out because there there are people who still believe there are low genres in film. Hmm. I don't I didn't realize that was still a thing. I think because I surround myself with so many really open-minded people that can can watch a horror movie but then can also speak very intelligently about, you know, classic film or, sure. you know, Oscar type film so that they they don't because I feel like there's a lot of people that I am friendly with, like you, for instance, who will like an Oscar-praised film mm-hmm. and then 
but but and and not and like other things and not feel the need to put either one down it's shocking to me that there are still people who can speak intelligently about classic cinema or you know like just like genres maybe sure. bygone eras and then and then be so fucking dismissive mm. of anything else right and so and they like, hear kind of rape revenge or whatever L has been classified mm-hmm. as and kind yep. of think well I'm not going to watch that like it's it, and they and they really do treat it like yeah and I remember reading like when when I started that magazine that I used to do people referring to horror and pornography Mm -hmm. is low genres they're the low genres no like like film schools won't touch them like classes don't deal in them serious cinephiles don't consider them right real movies and i know that that was a big motivator to start doing that magazine because you can treat quote-unquote low genres as viable cinema because they are and i really have a big problem with all these self-proclaimed feminists being so dismissive about entire bodies of work just because of how they might be classified and this movie definitely fell into that i started seeing some really shitty reviews and like dismissive like i won't even watch that oh that's because i I think part of it too is probably paul verhoeven yeah it's probably it probably is like and these are people that are like well i I, you know i go to telluride and i do this film festival and i i write for this and but ugh. I won't even watch that. Like, ugh. yeah, and how like you, Paul Verhoeven, like a film fan. That's fresh. Yeah, that's frustrating. It's um, yeah. It's, I I recommend if you if I don't know if you listen to the Faculty of Horror, but I really recommend you listening to because the episode they did they paired this with I Spit on Your Grave. Oh, interesting. And I'm and I mean these are women who speak very intelligently about horror and have a lot of respect for it. And Elle is not a horror movie. And in this case, it was just one of them, I think, just didn't like the movie. And, uh, um, but it's interesting, because it, on one hand, like, it's Isabelle Huppert. Like, Isabelle Huppert is, like, one of the poster children for, I think, that sort of, like, highbrow European experimental film. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's Paul Verhoeven, who I adore beyond anything, but is also the guy that made Basic Instinct and, you know, even Black Book, which yeah. comes from this really, like, great place of him being like, look, this was my experience. I was, you know, this is the experience of my people as being Dutch during World War II. And I'm telling it through a story of a woman who ended up using sex to to fight and all that. And I love Black Book. And I know there are people who just think it's very exploitive. And with Elle, it's... Um, I mean, I'm sure if it wasn't Isabelle Huppert, I bet this would have had a really hard time getting any respect at all. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, uh, it's really, it, it, it asks a lot of questions and it sort of puts a lot out there. And I, and again, I think it's really funny too. And it's, it's a shame if people just refuse to watch it because I really think they owe it, owe it to the film to give it a chance. Because mm-hmm. I think it does something really challenging and interesting with this idea of, you know, how we think a woman is supposed to act after she's assaulted. Hmm. It, it puts a really interesting spin on that. And and does it, in, again, an entertaining way for what it's worth. Um, so, yeah, I, I want to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah, I definitely want to cool. um, look at it. All right, a few more I got. So a couple of horror films on Instant. One was called The Similars. This is a Spanish horror movie. Mm-hmm. That was a delight. 
apparently it is a follow-up to another movie that has similar title and I can't remember it. But um, this one might have gone by your, like, recommended for you. It's a weird little kind of Twilight Zone-esque movie about people that are stuck at a bus stop. And I think oh, that sounds Columbia. good. Well, it gets, it gets even better. Because they're, like, a bunch of people. And it's sort of done in this, like, black and white sepia tone. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of because it's, like, not set in the 50s, but it feels like it. And what happens is they start, like, one by one, they start, like turning into physically looking like one of the guys there so there's one guy who's like bearded and has like kind of a shaggy haircut and slowly the rest of them are turning into that mm-hmm. uh and it's got a good twist it's it kind of has this like again very twilight zone-esque tone and it's different it's unlike anything i think i've really seen so i highly recommend it hmm it sounds good, and it's still. You watched it recently. Yeah, I watched soon? it fairly recently. Yeah. There oh, we go. So hopefully, it's it was still almost there. my uh, Netflix recommend. Ooh. But I I changed it because thematically there was a different film I watched that fit better with the movies we covered today. So, <laughs> I can't wait to I hear have a whole that. Theme going. Uh, okay, so another instant watch I watched was Anti Birth with Natasha Lyonne and Chloe Sevigny. Uh, I know Meg I Tilly. know what this is, but I don't think I'm, I've seen again. It. I'm sure you've seen it go by. So Natasha Leone is essentially exactly the role that Natasha Leone usually plays in movies. Sort of like a burnout. Um, you know, just does nothing but smoke pot and drinks all the time. And all of a sudden, she's pregnant. She doesn't think she should be pregnant because she didn't have sex. And is she pregnant with an alien? Is it a demon? Is it drugs she took? What's going on? I really can't, I don't, I haven't decided if I like this movie or not. Um, oh, okay. In terms of its, like, style, I actually, I thought, I'm, I wondered, I'm like, was this directed by the same person that did Hashtag Horror? Because it has a really similar cast and, like, a very similar feel. It's mm-hmm. not, I don't think it has anything to do with it. Um, and it's, like, it's interesting in that, like, it, clearly, like, whoever made it is probably, like, an artist, because the set looks pretty interesting, and, like, the monster effects at the end are really great. But it asks a lot as far as, like, when we're dealing, quote-unquote, with unlikable characters. Like, Natasha Leone, who I usually really like, and she's fine in this, but the question that I guess I've never asked myself is, do I really want to watch Natasha Leone playing the burnout for 90 minutes? Adding to that the fact that she might be pregnant in the movie. And so she's, want, like, the, she's the main character. She's the main character. She becomes yeah. pregnant and she doesn't understand why. And it's like, it's a kind of movie that like throws around dead baby jokes and all that. And like, that's sometimes fine if it's done well. Yeah. But I just didn't think this movie was nearly as cute or clever as I think it thought it was. Mm-hmm. Um. But then by the ending, it kind of won me over because at the very end, it has a kind of a cool, grand, crazy finale. And it sort of asks a question that was very interesting of kind of, and I don't think I'm spoiling anything, but you're watching this awful human being. And Natasha Leone is, is an awful human being in it. Like you, she is a worthless person. Mm-hmm. But it gets you to the point where you're like, but is it fair to have done something like that, that this is being done to her? So it sort of eventually gets you to a certain interesting moral place, I guess. Um, 
but I just didn't really like it. I found it very tiresome, and I just felt old watching it. I guess. Yeah, well, and like the characters are like they're thing. not young. Like they're all supposed to be my age. They're all in their thirties, and it just felt like ah, eh, like as much as I complain about like movies about pretty people in their twenties because they haven't lived and there's nothing interesting about them. At least when they're unlikable, it's like yeah, well that's because they're young. Like in this case, like thirties, thirty five is still young, but it just feels like yeah, but you're thirty five. You should like you shouldn't be such a waste of a person right now mm-hmm. so i don't know again i'll be curious if you watch it and i'll be cu- i'm curious if any of our listeners have seen it and had any like strong feelings one way or another uh okay just a few more one movie i had very little feelings about was called satanic uh this okay. was a typical it's got a very generic oh, title the cover is very generic What's odd is that, like, there's something about this movie that isn't generic. Like, it's it's a cast of pretty young people. The reason I watched it is because um, uh, Haley from Modern Family is in it, and I like her. Mm-hmm. And, like, she's the lead, and she's fun. Like, she's very likable. She's fine in it. But it's about these kids, you know, college kids that are on spring break to... Um, they go to L.A., and they're touring all of, like, the Manson house and all these like satanic landmarks i guess because that's what you do on your way to coachella uh and <laughs> yeah didn't you know that obviously and they end up like taking in like they witness like a near sacrifice like they think they've seen um this girl in a cult like almost get killed so they kind of take her in but then like something's weird about her and then of course satanism and ouija boards and stuff Okay, it sounds great. Yeah, it's it's not great. Oh. Um, but it's not the worst pretty young people in peril movie that you've ever seen. Like, it has a weird pace to it. Like, it's very slow. And then all of a sudden, just craziness happens for about 10 minutes, and then the movie is over. Mm-hmm. But, again, like, it, it has something different to it that I haven't quite been able to put my finger on. So again, like, I'm not really recommending it, but if you're, like, folding laundry and want to put something on, this is a good movie for that. <laughs> All right. Uh, another movie that would be good for that, but it's subtitled, so you probably can't do that, is called What We Become. Uh, it is a zombie movie. Again, you've probably seen it go by on your feed. Mm. Uh, I think it is the first Danish zombie movie made in Denmark. And I feel like if I had seen this go by, I would have watched it. The cover is like a little girl turned into a zombie. No, I feel like Netflix shows us different movies. Maybe. What did you rate Sleepwalkers? Five stars? Um, 20. Okay. So you stream Netflix, right? I do. Did yours change from the Oh, I know now it's a thumbs up and thumbs down, right? Yeah. Mine are thumbs up and thumbs down. Yours are too? Is that they what are. I never rate things to begin with because okay. the problem is I'm watching shitty movies, but I like watching shitty movies. Yeah. So, like, I would have given Satanic probably a two, but then they might not recommend a movie like Satanic to me, and I want to watch a movie like Satanic. Look, no, it's ne- I've never seen this go by. I'm looking at the cover right now. Interesting. Huh. I, sometimes I wonder if Netflix even knows me. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't like. I don't know if you'd like what we what we've become is a. It's a decent zombie movie. It's like they're in the suburbs. It's Denmark, so it's really pretty. And as far as just like, oh, we're in a different landscape. That's cool. But it's purely like, oh, crazy things are happening in the neighborhood, and people are quarantined. Could it be zombies? What's a zombie? We don't know what zombies are, so we're not using that word. But it's totally zombies. I hate. I that I don't like. Yeah, I prefer and when it, things exist in a reality where zombies are a, a pop culture. 
Well, no, no, no. no. It's like it, yeah, it's not like there's yeah, no, like they don't know what it is. It's just oh yeah, he died and then he woke up and tried to bite me. And it's it's that old like what I say about zombie movies in this day and age is you either if you're gonna make a zombie movie, there's only two reasons to make one. One is you're gonna bring something really fresh and different, and you're using the idea of zombies to explore something or tell a new story, like the resort or Dead Girl. The other is you're just a really fucking good filmmaker and you are going to make a kick-ass zombie movie. Mm -hmm. And this is neither. Like, it's better than average, but it's not great. It's very slow. Again, we know what's going on way before any of the characters do because we've seen these movies, but apparently nobody in Denmark has. Yeah. Uh, And it does that most infuriating thing that if I see another fucking movie do, I am going to throw something at my screen where let's start the movie. Let's start the movie with a scene that's going to happen 80 minutes later. And now let's jump into the movie. Why does this keep happening? Exactly. And and it is such a case where I'm like, and I said this about Don't Breathe, and it's true about this movie. It did take away, because I knew the fate of several characters because of this thing. Because of this choice to open the movie this way. Stupid. It's very stupid. Yeah. Uh, a movie that was not stupid. Now we're moving over to Amazon Prime, where I watched a few Ooh. movies. Uh, one of which I'm sure you've seen, because uh, I feel like everybody I know has seen it, but I finally did, and that was Green Room. Yes, I did see Green Room. Yeah. Um, you like it? Yes, I did like it a lot. As did I. Yeah. Apparently, it's even better um, on the second watch. I could see that. I could definitely see that. I have not watched it a second time, but Zach has, and he enjoyed it the first time we saw it in the theater. It was really good, mm-hmm. but he really liked it after a rewatch. What's interesting is, because this was a movie I tried to avoid hearing anything about, because I really didn't want it spoiled, because I knew I would watch it eventually. Mm-hmm. And now that I've watched it, and then listening to a, like, a couple of different reviews, and reading different reviews, and OTLP just did it on their show, I, I read, like, a couple of really interesting um, think pieces about it that brought up so many things that I wasn't really thinking about, but that really do make it good. Like, mm-hmm. the idea that, like, they're Nazis, but, like, that's not why, like, they don't overplay that in the movie. Like, it's not that they're Nazis that all this shit goes down. It's that, like, well, they're Nazis and they happen to see something they shouldn't have because these Nazis are doing this shit. Yeah. And it would have been so easy to take it in that, like, crazy direction of Patrick Stewart shouting, you know, anti-Semitism the entire movie. But it doesn't because that's not what it's about. Like, it's restrained in a weird way. Very much. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, it's violent and very violent, not yeah. restrained at all. No. But like in that regard, it's it's not so much. It's not as much a movie about Nazis as it could have been. <laughs> exactly. And it's also like I'm not. I also I didn't hold off watching it, but I didn't rush to see it. And I kind of thought I wouldn't like it as much as a lot of other people because I'm not a band person at all. Mm-hmm. Like unless you're singing Broadway show tunes at your Dolly Parton, I really don't care about like what you talk about as a band mm-hmm. um so and i thought that might turn me off but it totally didn't like i i, I liked feeling as though like oh so this is what bands like talk about <laughs> it worked for me because a lot of times any movie about like musicians just makes me feel like it's why i hate empire records and it's because yeah. i feel like if i walked into that record store uh, they would make fun of me or like i would feel like they were making fun of me Aww, and i didn't feel that way I, about this movie so i was good. beat them up Thanks, I appreciate that. Um, Okay, two more movies. Also on Netflix Instant, um, 
Now, another movie that uh, I wanted to see in the theater, but I didn't get around to. And then finally, we decided, uh, let's uh, let's let's give a uh, Ten Cloverfield Lane a, a go. <gasps> yes, I loved this. Yeah, it's good. It's I really want to rewatch really it. Really good. It's on Amazon Prime now. Yeah, I think I saw everybody talking about it, mm-hmm. showing up somewhere. But yeah, I'd like to look at it again. Now, this movie fucking upset me. Uh, yeah, and I'm watching it. And I said when it was over, I like said to Brian, I'm like. Because I, uh, I couldn't remember. I knew you'd seen it. And I thought you liked it, but I couldn't remember. I'm like, I bet Christine loved it because it, it's her favorite kind of movie where it's one movie and then it becomes a different movie. It is my favorite kind of movie. I know. Oh, you know me so well. I do. Yeah. But I mean, it kind of Zach makes this point. He feels a lot more strongly about this than I do. He would have liked to have not known. Like if it was, yeah. he would have liked it to not have been called Cloverfield. Sure. He would have liked to, to have been called like Lady Trapped in a House movie. <laughs> And then, like, oh, my God, crazy Cloverfield yeah. shit's happening. Yep, yep, yep. But, like, also no one would have gone and seen that movie, it, sadly. Uh, maybe. I mean, I don't know. These days, these days and age, because look at Split, which is not a great example because it was still M. Night Shyamalan. So I think people were going to see it anyway. But then when people were like, oh, there's a connection to his, to another one of his films, like, that was a pretty well-kept secret until, until you it. Until you just told me right now. No, because you even asked me about it when we when I know. I talked about it. For some reason, um, Zach thought that that was true. We still haven't watched it. We okay. actually have it, and we're going to watch Ooh. it soon. I feel like you'll really like it. Um, really? Because I think I'm going to hate it. I don't know. I think you'll like James. It's your your boyfriend, James McAvoy. I know, and I love that girl in it whose name I can never remember. And suddenly something, and everything. And two names. Yeah. She was in that Morgan movie, too. I didn't know that. She was in everything for like five minutes. I hope it continues. <laughs> it, it would seem. Uh, but yeah, Tim, Ken, Ken Cloverfield Lane is really good. Yeah. Uh, it's one, like watching him like, man, it's it's so unfortunate that John Goodman didn't get to spend his entire career playing this kind of character. I know. When I feel like it makes me look at things and go like, boy, what was he thinking? He could have been doing some <laughs> some shit. Yeah, because I mean, and I've always felt John Goodman is one of like is like criminally underrated. Yeah, because he's so good and he's so good, but he's always in rarely in the parts that you really get to see how good he is. Yeah, and he's so good in this. Um, yeah, I just dug it. I was really, I was on edge. I had no idea where it was going. Um, it's deeply upsetting. It is, yeah. And it also <laughs> does like it, it handles uh, like the you know the main character. It it gives her a really powerful arc mm-hmm. that is set up and it does develop. And like by the end of the movie, you're kind of like, okay, like I feel as though this movie did her right. Yeah, yeah. So I was I was excited with it, and I'm right. If if you if anybody was holding off for whatever reason, like no no no, give it a go. Uh, and then the last movie, this is one where I did actually go to a theater um, on a Thursday night, no less. Ooh. Yeah. Is it for the new Fast and Furious movie? No, it was not oh. for the new Fast and Furious movie. Uh, it was for a movie that when I saw the trailer a couple of months ago, I'm like, I'm going to go see that in the theater because I want to give that movie my money because I want them to make movies like this more often. And that is The Belco Experiment. Oh. <laughs> So did you like this movie? I liked it. Oh, um, you did. I've heard nothing but oh, negative shit. See, here's the thing that I'm going to say. I enjoyed this movie more <laughs> than it was a good movie. You should start every statement like that. <laughs> See, here's the thing. 
so what like it's a movie that I enjoyed. I had a good time watching it. Um, I was invested. I do have some problems with it, and I, if somebody wanted to give me a, a, a whole list of reasons for why it is not a good movie, I could listen, and I could probably, for most of them, be like, yeah, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Because it does have some problems. Mm-hmm. However, it's also essentially Battle Royale in an office. Yeah, I mean, it is that, huh? It yeah. looks like it's that. It, that's basically what it is. Uh, it is has a great cast. Uh, Tony Goldwyn is great. Um, the lead guy, who's the who's also the guy in Ten Cloverfield Lane, whose name I don't know. He's oh, so, he's in it. Yeah, That's I, I refer to him as like the in the this, in Belco experiment. He's essentially like Jim Halpert from The Office. Is kind mm-hmm. of his character. Um, who Michael Rooker is in it, and this isn't really a spoiler. Michael Rooker is in it, and he's not trying to kill people in the movie. Oh, that's nice. Which is shocking. Uh, there's a lot of good character actors, a lot of just good faces, and it's fun. It's different. It's, you know, as much as it is like the same Battle Royale premise, I've also never seen a movie like this set in an office and where this is what's happening. You're pitting these people against each other. And it does have fun with that. I think it could have had more. I, I It's a movie that I, I wanted to almost be longer because, like, they set up some things where, like, you meet the different people in the office and I think they do a good job of introducing enough people so that like you're kind of uh watching out for a lot of characters Mm -hmm. but they then don't spend enough time with them once shit goes down like there's this one scene early on where this like character walks by and she's German and she seems very strict and she like drops a giant stack of papers on the new girl's desk and says she wants them done by two o'clock and you're like oh shit when stuff goes down she's gonna be a badass and like, no, she kind of just dies with a whole bunch of other people. Mm. So it's like kind of like, Ugh. and they do what they don't do is, um, so, OK, I'm going to compare it to another movie that I've recommended before. And I think a few people have, have taken my advice and sought it out. Uh, and it was called The Human Race. And it's a very mm-hmm. low budget movie about basically a bunch of people are kind of sucked up somewhere and dropped into a situation where they're told they have to finish this race and like everybody else is going to die and so on. And so it's a similar, again, it is your running man about a Royale-esque setup, but it does something really great, which is anybody can die at any minute and you totally don't know who, who's who's going to make it. And with the Belko experiment, watching it, I'm like, I really hope they do that. If they do that, they have totally kicked ass on this movie. And they don't. And it's really disappointing because very mm-hmm. quickly it becomes obvious because they set up this thing where essentially, okay, if 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 you don't kill people, then we are going to kill 20 people at random. So you're like, oh my god, 20 people at random. That could be him. That could be her. That could be him. And it's none of those people. And so like it's, it's kind of like, uh, like you were willing to go there with the violence. You were willing to go there with a lot of it. But you weren't quite willing to go there with the actual, like, rules of screenwriting and working against that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I did enjoy it. I don't think it's, you know, worth spending a lot of money on going to a theater. I personally felt it was like a principle that I wanted to go give it my money in the theater. Um, you don't have to, but when it comes on streaming, I would say to check it out. I would probably check it out. Yeah, it got, I think we were in the position where we were, we were so close to getting, getting ready to move sure. and it was just not, going to the theater wasn't really in the cards mm-hmm. and 
I then I started hearing really negative reviews. Hmm. And I was like, oh, well, uh, next, maybe next time. Catch yeah. you on the flip side. It is mean. It's it's Greg McLean or Greg McMean, as I like to call him. <laughs> Wolf Creek. So it does have that very kind of uh, bad things are going to happen to people you like feeling about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it is a mild recommend for me. Okay, that was everything. Uh, All right. Now, do you want to go chronological with the hunger, or do you, or you want to talk about sleepwalkers? Let's talk about sleepwalkers. Okay, I'm so excited. <laughs> I know you are. And when we come back, we're going to talk about sleepwalkers, guys. I got rhythm. I got music. I got my gal who could ask for anything more. I got daisies. I got in green pastures. My gal who could ask for anything more Old man trouble, I don't mind him You won't find him round my door Vous comprenez ça? Non! I got Rhythm I got Music I got My gal who could ask for anything more Who could ask for anything more 1992, Christine, was a pretty good yes. year. I don't remember it. You would have been in like fourth grade, right? Fourth grade and fifth. I guess. Uh, it was a great year, and you want to know why? Because this movie came out? This fucking movie came out. Sleepwalkers. Based on an unpublished short story by Stephen King. Based now, on a thought that Stephen King once had. In based the on a dream somewhere. that Stephen King sort of remembered and then embellished when telling it to somebody else. <laughs> uh, yes. Now, okay, I, I love Stephen King, and I think the world is better for having Stephen King in it. Sure. But Stephen King has written some crap. And this is, a, this yes. is something that he didn't even think was good enough to publish. Yes, I have thoughts and feelings about Stephen King, but I think saying that the world is better for him being in it is very accurate. Yes. I do not want to live in Stephen Kingless world. Nor do I. Um, Mick Garris. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So again, I don't know that I want to live in a world without Mick Garris either. No, me neither. So many th- I wouldn't have so many things yeah. if I didn't have Apparently, Mick Apparently, we wouldn't have Critters 2 without McGarris, which I did not I, know. I, I, well, and that is easily his best movie. Which Let's not even talk about that. Obviously. <laughs> so I was thinking about McGarris. And for those who don't know, McGarris uh, has directed, um, he did the TV version of The Stand. He did the TV adaptation of The Shining. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which is just a thing that happened. Uh, he is also the creator and organizer of Masters of Horror. Yep. He also directed one of the episodes. Which one was his? Chocolate. I don't Henry Thomas. I don't think I saw that one. It, you know, it has a good idea at its kernel, which is, um, it's, it's the story of chocolate is like Henry Thomas when, it's something like when he, okay, I might be, I might be wrong about this, but I want to say it's that when he eats chocolate, he can, he's like, mentally connected to this beautiful woman somewhere else and so he feels what she feels can we please just start the podcast (laughs) where we review episodes of of masters of horror and fear itself we should um but but i will say if memory serves and again like 
I, I won't know until we start that podcast and I rewatch all the episodes. I remember thinking chocolate was probably the worst one. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing about McGarris. I think McGarris is a terrible director. Mm-hmm. But if, let's say, Stephen King was getting married, okay, and Christine, he invited me to his wedding. Yes. And he checked in with me. He's like, by the way, Emily, I'm trying to figure out what table to put you at. I have a couple of different spots that you could go uh, if you could help me out. I have a table um, opening with John Carpenter. Um, I have another table where you would be sitting next to um, Clive Barker. I have another table you can sit next to David Cronenberg. Um, no, or, that's that's a table I Well, pick. no, no, I have another table where you can sit, sit next to Mick Garris. Am I allowed to put strange objects into his food? <laughs> because I want to torment him. And see, for me, I'd be like, okay, well, John Carpenter's going to smell like smoke. I don't want to deal with that. <laughs> Clive Barker, like, who who knows what he's going to do? When no, he, like, that's all, you know. all set. Um, I mean, Cronenberg, maybe, because, you know, sexy Cronenberg. But I feel like I would think about it and be like, all right, who's going to be the most fun to make, like, jokes about the, like, the, the wedding? And who's going to be the most fun to talk about what to order? And yeah. who can I actually sit who's there doing? the most, like, somebody's goofy dad? Yeah, like, during, like, dessert, let's say, when, like, you're not dancing and you're just sitting there and you're talking, like, who can I have a good conversation with? Girl, I could probably talk for hours with Mick Garris about horror movies. Mm-hmm. Essentially, he is a horror fan who managed to get himself in a position where Stephen King will let him make movies based on his books. That's not an easy thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not really think, the right person I to have done they're it. they're, like, on the same weird wavelength. And it is so problematic in every one of these adaptations. And, I mean, The Shining, I think, is the best example of that. Yeah. Because I understand why Stephen King hates Kubrick's version. I get it. It's not his book. It's not the spirit of his book. That's but he, Does he not realize that his book wasn't that good? Well, I mean, I would argue the first, like, 400 pages are really good. I don't know. I don't like a story of an abusive man seeking retribution. Well, that's, that's why the I thing. The Wrestler. And, but... Oh, interesting. The... <laughs> It's, that was a stretch there, but I always got to bring it back to why I don't like the wrestler. <laughs> I love the wrestler. The The idea that there is another adaptation of The Shining to be made that's more in keeping with the story of an alcoholic, abusive man, I think is perfectly valid. I completely agree. The book and Kubrick's film are completely different animals. Yes. Kubrick's film is like fan fiction of that book. Exactly. And it's, it's a great film. And I think it is a great adaptation in that it is a fascinating uh, interpretation of source material in a different way. Yep. But I think totally. Somebody else could come and say, I'm going to remake The Shining. Is and Mick I think Garris they should say, man? right, not I'm going to remake, I'm going to readapt The Shining. And they could make a great movie. Mick uh-huh. Garris is not that guy because <laughs> right. he is clearly a Stephen King fanboy. Yep. And so, and my favorite example of this in The Shining remake, or I'm sorry, The Shining adaptation is the um, Melvin Van Peebles character and all of the scenes of him trying to get back to the Overlook. Like, in the book, it makes sense because you're cutting between characters. So you're establishing, like, where he is and he goes to the airport and they give him a hard time. So he goes here and he goes here. There is no reason to show all of that in the miniseries. But it's all there because it's in the book. And mm-hmm. I think McGarris was just so beholden to Stephen King of, well, you wrote this, so of course I'm going to have it in your movie. 
And as a result, all a lot of the sort of like Stephen King isms that can sometimes drag down his material mm-hmm. are everywhere in Sleepwalkers. That is, I think, you know what? Done. Stop talking about it. Oh God, no, the, we're, no, girl. That's the most concise way to put it. Yeah. So. I do not like, and gosh, if you listen to this show ever, I do not like Stephen King shticks or Stephen King isms, as you have said. Um, you know, I, I think I've done Stephen King isms. I think King-isms. I've done them like, you know, me and Cricket are going down to the to the store to see what <laughs> little Bud found. Like, <laughs> I love when it, you do that. I know, but that's that's really how I feel. And there's something about that that is is off putting. And I grew up with Stephen King, yep. with the movies, the adaptations, the miniseries, mm-hmm. the books. I like, but. And it's just not that aspect of it isn't for me. But the ideas are there. I'm not stupid. He's got really good ideas. So sometimes if there's like a filter, right. you can you can sift out like gold. You can sift out some of those Stephen Kingisms, and you can get left with this little nugget of something really interesting. If no one is there to sift, you have the aspects of Dreamcatcher that set my teeth on edge. My favorite example of how clearly Mick Garris has no um, backbone when it comes to telling Stephen King no, uh, it's very simple. It is in Stephen King's cameo in this movie. (laughs) Stephen King has like a 90-second cameo that feels like it goes on for three hours. Yes, the whole movie is that cameo. It's him like making, playing like a dumb character, playing like Jodie Furland, basically, from uh, Creepshow. And it's him like just talking with like a weird southern accent and saying the same line over and over again to different characters and it just keeps going and it's not funny it's not funny the first time it's not funny the eighth time no but it keeps going and it's just the prime example of dude you're a director you have to be able to say no to your writer yeah and Uh, it's so yes it's 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 a very bogged down movie and it's bogged down by similarly um, dumb choices. So now um, let's talk about the movie. Christine, you got to give me a synopsis. You got to. Oh my God. You got to, because I need to hear your synopsis of this movie. So Leo from Charmed is a cat monster. (laughs) He does it with his mom and he attacks Shelly from Twin Peaks. And then she is surprisingly lacking in agency which i don't remember and then there is a really cool cat named clovis and also they're afraid of cats and also they're weird looking and they do it it's so weird this movie's so weird yeah this movie even is what even is this movie like so i don't get stephen king's uh, unpublished short story slash dream slash whatever (laughs) okay they are they're cat people they are ancient cat people who similar to cat people similar to cat people in they form they turn into like the guise of really sexy humans yes but in mirrors they're cat people and by cat people they're like hairless cat people but not like in a cool like oh hairless cats are actually cute if you give them a chance like no they're like no weird sort of um you know they're like did you ever see the movie freaked with uh alex winter no okay they're the worm guy in that movie if anybody's seen it, they know what I mean. Like, they're just fleshy, like, gargoyle-ish thingies that are supposed to be cats, but yet cats are the only thing that can kill them? Yeah, but they're not... So the thing is, they're not scary, either. Because I think that they look really bad. Yeah. 
Well, they there's look a way awkward. to fix that because they can also become invisible. Mm. This Don't movie has this movie has rules that it doesn't follow. Oh my god, this is the prime example of that. And that's like I'm a stickler for that. Is like, look, I will buy whatever crazy shit you're selling me in a movie, but I need to know that within that universe there are rules. I you know, can't oh spy this is why I hate Sam Raimi's Spider Man movies. Because Spider Man can fly until you decide he can't. And therefore mm-hmm. I have no investment in anything. There's the Green Goblin holding Mary Jane and a school bus of children. He's going to drop both. Spider-Man has to make a choice. Oh, no, he doesn't because he can do both because the movie has no rules about gravity. Um, in this movie, <laughs> so they are where cat people and they have sex with, it's like mother-daughter, mother-son sexual mm-hmm. relations. And because they're like the only ones left. I guess. Because there are so many cats in the world that have killed all of them. So, yeah, it's... I wish I had watched this more recently because I could get really nitpicky with all the things wrong with it. So, first of all, um, Leo from Charmed is not that handsome. Anyways, <laughs> he he gets his sights set on on um, Madchen Amik, um, Shelley from. I'm glad Peaks. you said her name first because I had no idea how to say it. I think it's kind. I think I I messed it up a little bit, but it was close. There's like Dasha so Shelley- or A. It's weird. She's amazing. She's the best thing ever. She's I was going to say, she is really good in this movie. She She's is... on Riverdale right now. Oh, Emily, if you're not watching Riverdale, you I, need to I know watching. I should, because it's also the writers that I really liked who did, um, uh, who worked with, they worked with Ryan Murphy and were probably better than him. And then they did the, the uh, Sunset, the, the Town that Dreaded Sunset movie. Um, so I oh, know I know did, I should be watching Riverdale. really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, R- oh. Roberto Aguirre Sarcasa, I think. It's so good. So she's the she's um, Betty's mom and okay. that, and um, she's she's amazing. She's she, a tremendous actress. Yeah, and she is great in this movie. She is she really, really uh, she's adorable. And I mean, she is supposed to play kind of the virginal, like sweet love interest, and she is really cute. She's very pretty, um, really likable. Like she is fantastic in this. Mm-hmm. Super charismatic. Yep. Um, so he gets his sights set on her, and. He needs to bring her to his mom so she can suck her life force out and live still, right? Uh, yeah. So the mom mm-hmm. is Alice Krieg, who I also really yes. like. Who who is... was in the OA most recently? For okay, she is the Borg Queen, is what most people yes, would know her is... from. Well, um, or that, or Ghost Story. <laughs> well, she. What I. What the thing I always like like about her and why I think she's actually good in this movie and perfectly cast is that she has that she is creepy sexy yeah she's great she's also great in this yeah like she is just she's she's really beautiful but it's this very like ethereal kind of odd beauty she has like a a very interesting voice Uh, i think she's actually south african so that's kind of like maybe why her like her accent's a little different but she is sexy in a really creepy way Mm-hmm. And she and she brings that to this part, um, but so she is dying because she's starving because she can only live off of the blood of virgins. But yeah. now, first Ugh. of all, there's I'm sorry, there's easier ways to get a, to to drink the blood of a virgin, right? Because there... we learn from the beginning that the last town they left, they killed a little girl. 
So yeah, how hard but, is it to kill to to like kidnap a little girl in this town? That's what and I they're not first. they're not super careful. So why are they running the long con on this grown woman? Right. It like takes it's like a week of a courtship where like oh. he's like and like everybody knows like she is very like virginal. Where like no like she's a good girl, so she ain't gonna sleep with him on the first date kind of thing. It's gonna take a lot just to get a date with her. So yeah, he's in school for like a week, um, and then. Let's jump to, like, the thing that, again, when we talk about movies that, you know, you can kind of be bothered by things in movies, and, like, usually I forgive the whole, like, eh, like, you know, why didn't he just shoot him then kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But so he, she comes over to his house to go on a date. She walks in the door where the mother is right there. Mm-hmm. The movie, and then like so, the whole time you're like, oh, oh my god, is she gonna? Is the are they gonna eat her right now? Nope, they're gonna go to the cemetery and make out, and then he's gonna bring her back to his mother. The movie, gives but they were no already there. Reason yeah. for why they didn't just kill her right then and there, and it's really distracting. It is, and and it makes no sense because what is the mother's problem that she can't just go and do this herself? Yeah. Like, cause she never tells you why she's a, she's a scan of the cats that are outside, but why isn't right. Leo from charmed a scan of those cats? Also later on in the movie, she's not afraid of those. Right, cats. And she's like totally strong and badass and is like flinging people with her mind and stuff. So again, no rules. I don't no know why she, I don't know why she's even making her son do this. Then sometimes, so that's a whole different thing. His character is all over the place, too. Oh sometimes he seems kind of remorseful or like he doesn't want to and reluctant. And right. then other like times. Like the mother asks him, she's like, Are you falling in love with her? He's like, No, but you're like, Maybe he is. So, and then, but then in the best turn, he then ends up being really evil and mean. Yep. And it's awesome. He does it so well. And that's when the movie is at its shining best. Well, because it becomes like that episode of Buffy after Buffy has sex with Angel, where like all of a sudden he's yes. jealous. Like, it's that total, like, as soon as she lets her guard down, is like, yeah, let's make out. Like, okay, I'm, I'm finally like, I'm gonna be a bad girl. I'm, I'm gonna kiss this guy. All of a sudden, he is a complete and utter violent dick. You're like, okay, there, there's something there. It's, and he's, and, he, and he's so good at it, too. Like, he's really comes alive when he's being this like shitty right. snarky mean character um so that's cool but then it's not consistent no it also it's about that point in the movie where all of a sudden everybody has a freddy krueger one-liner when they do something violent yes and it gets ridiculous. Like, a- a later when Alice Krieg is, like, killing cops left and right, and, oh, we'll, we'll get to my favorite um, supporting character. She kills one cop, like, because, and, like, she stabs him with a corn husk and says, like, <laughs> no vegetables, no dessert, and stabs him. Wait, so but we never established that he wasn't eating vegetables. He ate everything off of his plate. He was totally eating his vegetables. <laughs> um, so let's talk about the cops in this movie. Yes. Uh, so that talk about Clovis finally. Okay. So we're going to start with um also how great is it that okay so the movie starts I think they're in like California and they move to Illinois or Indiana. And of all the towns in this country that they had to pick, they had to find the one with the police cat. Yeah. You know what? It was only a matter of time. I suppose. They have been doing this for centuries apparently. Um so I, I saw this movie, I guess this was like a cable 
movie. It must have been, yeah. I saw this movie a lot. I didn't remember all of it. It was always a bit jumbled in my memory. Uh, it's a bit jumbled in actuality, too. <laughs> but I was obsessed with that fucking cat. I love that cat. I love the man, the and I awesome. love the cat. The cat's name is Clovis. Clovis. I will never forget that. Um, when we drove from... Um, we had just watched this movie when we were driving from Texas to Seattle. We had to stop overnight, and we stopped in Clovis, New Mexico, because <gasps> I thought it was good luck. <laughs> I love it. Um, I love this fucking cat, and I love that man. They are both not in it enough. A- and... This oh, this is such a good actor. Clovis is, a, is such a... I forgot the name of the cat, too, because like we saw the cat's name in the credits, and both of us were like, aw. Uh, the other great thing, or not great thing, but, like, problematic thing, is so... First of all, this is a movie that has no main character. You don't know who the main character is. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't know whose story this movie ultimately is. But they introduce the cop, and the cop, like, is... Like, he's, I mean, one of those cops that just, like, sings and talks and... It's kind of like a really likable, stupid cop. So you're like, oh, okay, I'm rooting for this guy. This is great. And spoiler alert, happens about 40 minutes into the movie, so it's not a huge spoiler. Then he fucking dies in a ridiculous way. Yeah. And, like, that bummed me out. Mm-hmm, me too. Because <laughs> I felt like they worked really hard to give you this guy, and now they're just taking him away. And, like, in a very way that unceremoniously. feels... Very unceremoniously. And very mean, too. Like, it's a mean death, and then it's a mean treatment of him after his death. Um, so there's that. But Christine, he is not my favorite character in the movie. Do you want to know who my favorite character in the movie is? Who's your favorite character? So, um, if you remember when we watched Teen Witch, which by the way, I just got on Blu-ray and it has a commentary and I'm so excited. So if you remember, I really liked, um, the character of the little brother because one of my favorite character tropes in bad movies is the character whose defining characteristic is that he loves food. (laughs) Oh, Christine, the deputy in this movie who looks oh, yeah. like, a, like sort of Michael Ironside's brother with an extra chromosome. Yes. This deputy fucking loves food. He does love food. My God. When he goes to um, Twin Peaks Girls' house and he's supposed to be like guarding them and the parents and the mother brings him food, just after that, all he is doing in the rest of the movie is eating food because he loves food, Christine. Loves it. Loves it. Loves it so much. Ah. Like every time he came on screen, because I watched it with Brandon, and this is what I would call a um, makes-you-feel-drunk movie. I was not <laughs> drunk when I watched this movie, but... I didn't believe that I hadn't had any alcohol that day because I felt <laughs> drunk watching it because everything started being funny. And so every time this character came up, we would just be like, oh, excuse me. And it made me really happy. Yeah, um, it is. It's, it's, it's zany in a way that like, I don't know. It gets you like it's, <laughs> you get taken over by how yeah. nothing makes sense. Uh, let's talk about um the, implied teacher sexual abuse maybe potential so there's a, so there's a teacher in the movie a a sort of stodgy um uh, pr- uh english teacher who's played <gasps> by the guy yes! I, how could i forget about that and um so they're dry again we talk about how like not un non how conspicuous these characters are mm-hmm. so um 
Leo from Charmed uh, pulls over because the teacher pulls him over to kind of come over and give him a piece of his mind. And like, so does the teacher try to grab his penis is my first I question. Think, no, I, that was what I thought too. Okay. It was a little unclear. So it like, was a little unclear, but that's where I went with it. But let's just go with the fact that this movie is set in a town where cops have cats, obviously. Uh, and where um, t- high school teachers will, in broad daylight, walk over to a 18-year-old student who is not a, like, small wallflower, who is, like, could be on the football team, yell at them and try to touch their penis. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the thing that happens in this town. It's a weird town. It's a very weird town. So Leo from Charmed instead rips his hand off and gives him a great one-liner and then has the weirdest murder of him, right? That's a weird murder. Yes. I don't know if McGarris just discovered spinning cameras or what, but there's a few cases of it, and it's odd in tone. Like, the whole movie, I could not tell him, like, is this trying to be a legitimate horror movie, or is it tongue-in-cheek? And if it's tongue-in-cheek, why isn't it understanding how to do that? It's not, in my opinion, it's not tongue-in-cheek enough to be tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. But maybe, you know, maybe I just, I guess, don't get it or something. I don't, uh, yeah, and I mean, maybe because you, like, (sighs) there is something... But then I think, you know what, that was also 1992, where, like, your tones were sort of weird. And Mm -hmm. I feel like this movie isn't, I don't think McGarris would call this a horror comedy, but I think he should if somebody asks him. (laughs) Because I think that will make it seem like he knew what he was doing far more so. Like, his best answer if somebody said, dude, Sleepwalkers, what was up with that? would be for him to say, I was trying to make, like, a tongue-in-cheek horror comedy, but the studio really wanted a horror movie. Mm-hmm. That's what he should say. I don't think it's true, but that is my advice to Mick Harris, who I'm sure listens to us. I wish he- it would have been funnier, Mick. Yeah, yeah, Mick. Maybe do a director's cut where you add in more one-liners. Mm. Um, okay, uh, so the, the parents, her, uh, Twin Peaks' parents, are played by um, the parents in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I don't know if that was supposed to be anything, but they are. Uh, This is another, I think, a very Stephen Kingism thing. Or maybe it's just that the movie doesn't know when it's set. Like, (laughs) the movie's set in, I think, present day. But the teenagers in this movie exclusively listen to 50s tunes. I I did notice that, too. Yeah. And, like, you can make an excuse for it with um, Leo from Charmed because he's a sleepwalker and he's, like, thousands of years old. He's old. So maybe stuff. he just, you know, if anything, like, he's used to the, uh, I don't know, the French Renaissance waltzes and so on. Um, but, like, even Twin Peaks Girl is listening to 50s tunes and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, like, again, it's just one of those Stephen Kingisms. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what else do I have here? Yeah, the only other two notes I had that I feel are important to share is the... So when um, Twin Peaks Girls' room, uh, when she, like when she's showing uh, Leo from Charmed the room, and they're walking around, and she has underwear everywhere. 
Mm-hmm. I. It's so cute and funny. <laughs> like it's it's cute, but it's like wait, like she has like underwear like on her ceiling fan, underwear like it's on the light switch. <laughs> it's so cute though. I cute. laughed so hard at that. I thought it was just amazing and charming. Yeah. And, and I will say, after I like, I said to, I like made a joke about it to Brad, and he's like, he's like, he looks at me, he's just staring at me. I'm like, what? He's like, he's like, you leave your clothes everywhere. So I realized maybe, maybe it's I'm just and looking at it differently. Unfortunately, like the, like we've said, this whole movie wasn't played for laughs because yeah. that was like one of the strongest scenes. Yeah, agreed. Like it's really like her scenes are the best because she is has a great charisma and is super likable and you kind of want to watch her get away from a killer and you kind mm. of do it's just it's a killer that um okay so again just to be clear so that everybody knows what this movie is about yes please explain it again they are thousands year old incestuous werecat people who can at will turn invisible and change the color of cars the color and make of cars. Yes. Or take or change the whole make the whole car be invisible too. They can make the car be invisible, which it makes sense because they can make themselves be invisible, so I buy that. But the not only can I make my car invisible, I can also touch it and change it from a Porsche to a Corvette. Yeah, you can like put a glamour on it or something. Yeah. Like these are all things that happen in this movie, guys. Mm-hmm. Not to mention the cameos. Did you catch those cameos? Yes, I did. We got Mark Hamill. Uh, with a mustache, if you ever wanted to know what Mark Hamill with a mustache looks like. Yep, yep. You only have to watch the first two minutes of this movie. I know, he's in and out real yep, quick. Yeah, there's Joe Dante, Clyde Barker, Tobe Hooper, John Landis, and, of course, Stephen King. Stephen King! Yeah. Uh, now, Christine, I do have to ask, you are allergic to cats, are you not? I am. So did you identify with um, Alice Krieg and Leo from Charmed? No. Really? <laughs> um, I thought all there's you people a lot... were alike with your allergies. There, there are a lot of weird things with them and with cats. Like, they don't like them, and they're super scared of them, but then, like, they don't seem to care. I like, don't know. Like, they can... Like they, it's not like they can't touch them. Like, Alice Creek picks, like, up five of them and snaps their necks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not even, like, that's ultimately not the thing that kills her. Spoiler alert. Right? Like, she gets blown up, I think. So they're not invincible. It's just that, like... Yeah, that's a good point. It's, again, this movie has no rules. Uh, it's, it's infuriating. It's ridiculous. But I gotta tell you, I had such a fucking good time watching it. Yeah, it was... It's a movie, huh? <laughs> yeah. I mean, when people... T- I think this is one of the movies that people are thinking of without actually thinking of it, because I don't think enough people saw it or remember it. But when people say, oh man, the 90s were a rough time for horror, or the early 90s were bad, like, this is the kind of movie they're thinking of. Yeah. Because this was a theatrical release, folks. And I did go see it with Mama and Papa and Travia, for whatever reason. I mean, I know why. It was a Stephen King movie, but, you know. I don't remember having to have that conversation about, why is he having sex with his mother? Ugh. It's a it's a strange one. There's some strange, deep themes that aren't really explored. Quite a few. Quite a few. Yeah. Um, I wonder if there's, like, people out there who have, like, if there's Sleepwalkers fanfic 
and like sleepwalkers <laughs> like cosplay and if there's like a world of people that have like fleshed out the entire um like world and rules of sleepwalkers mm-hmm. do you think there's like a secret society of sleepwalkers christine we can only hope dare <gasps> dare hope. to dream okay guys tell me what the secret word is i promise i will not mock it I mean, I, I don't promise. I promise I won't mock it on air, but I want to join your sleepwalkers club and learn more. Cause it's Be- become great. a sleepwalker. No. Cause I know. Cause what happens? Like, is it only that you have sex with your mother? If you're a boy, like how does that all work? Are there female sleepwalkers? Is it? I, don't, I just don't know. Again, somebody in a sleepwalker's cult, please inform me. I want to know. Yeah, let, let Emily know. These I'd questions like know need why. to be answered. Yes. All right. Do you have any more to say, or should we rate the fuck out of this movie? <sighs> Let's rate it. I don't think there's anything that can be said. Quality of film, Christine Makemeets. Quality of film. Six? Wow. You went way higher than I would have thought. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, I was going to go, because I feel like this is... Is average. It, I don't think I could call this above average. Um, so, in terms of a movie, I feel like it's more. But, but, but I will say some two of the performances are very. The females are very good in the movie. Um, but in terms of a film quality of film, I'm going to go four point seven five. Uh, did I go too high? No, you went with your heart. I guess I went with my heart. I'm not going to take it back. Don't. Uh, I'm purely going again. Quality of film. Quality of life. For me, like got, an eight. oh yeah, got got to be uh, mm-hmm. uh, seven points. No, eight. Yeah, you're right. I'm going solid eight because yeah. I had so much fun watching this stupid fucking movie. I've watched it so many times. I've seen it so many times. It's yeah. even weirder as an adult. That it fucking is cat. Somehow. I reference that cat so much. So <laughs> yeah, no, it um, it is like I said about the Belko experiment. I enjoyed this way more than it is a good movie. Um, but I like really enjoyed it and I'm mm-hmm. glad cause I feel like for the rest of my life, I'm going to be making like solid sleepwalkers references. Like I, I'm sure I made a joke here and there about sleepwalkers, but like, no, going forward, they are going to be on point when I make a You're sleepwalkers. You're going to talk joke. about it nonstop. Never going to stop. Yeah. Okay, that was Sleepwalkers. Um, it is, it's not streaming for free, but you can rent it on Amazon. And obviously we recommend you do that. Yeah, I think I think I did it that way. It yeah, I think it's also available in like a Stephen King DVD with like a bunch of other movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I couldn't get it from Netflix. It was a long wait. And I think it's like never going to actually come. Um, but it's, it, it's out there if you want to own it and watch it every day like uh, we might. Okay. Sleepwalkers. Let's uh, take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to talk about um, another movie that does... Okay. I mean, they're connected in, like, both being about supernatural, eternal life things, right? Mm Mm-hmm. But this one no cats in this one. Sorry, guys. We'll be back. May God bless and keep you always. May your wishes all come true. May you always do for others and let others do for you. May you build a ladder 
to the stars and climb on every rung. May you stay forever. Starring, well, actually, we should first say, directed by Tony Scott, his first feature film. Uh, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, this was his, uh, I mean, he, I think he had done other stuff, certainly. He, I think he did music videos, too, mm-hmm. but this was his first actual film, or theatrical oh. film. Um, based on a, at the time, I think, unpublished or, like, just published novel by Whitney uh, Stiber, who did Com- War Day and I think Communion, maybe, uh, and starring Catherine Deneuve, Susan Sarandon, and David Bowie. Yes. Now, I had not seen this. I had always meant to, but I had never actually sat down and watched it. Mm-hmm. You had. Am I, what was I had. your first experience with it? I watched it and I liked it. Um, I don't, I watched it, um, I don't know, like, maybe eight or nine years ago for the first time and I was like yes this is a movie that Mm -hmm. I like um I didn't really watch it with much of a critical eye I guess I watched it like as somebody who likes vampire-y movies Mm -hmm. and spooky stuff and like uh, trying to be a horror movie completist um it was a bit of a different experience this time okay um so why don't we start with uh synopsis Wish me luck, man. Because yeah. um, what is this movie about? Um, I had a real hard time with this movie's plot. Hmm. Not, I mean, at face value, it's about a lady who clearly doesn't die, and that is expressed to us in many ways, one of them being like little intermittent flashbacks, like little spliced-in cuts to days gone by. Mm-hmm. Um David Bowie is the current person that she is with, and he starts to age rapidly, and that is juxtaposed against Susan Sarandon's um, work with aging and progeria and trying to slow aging and all that stuff. Um, Very rapidly, and it's not really a spoiler, spoiler, very rapidly David Bowie is is gone from this movie. Um, Which I remember being surprised at the first time I watched it, too. Um, he gets very, very old, very, very fast, mm-hmm. and he gets put in a box. It's yeah. one thing I can say about this movie is I do like this kind of the slow reveal. It's kind of like the puzzle is always built, but we're slowly pulling back to see it. Mm-hmm. The whole movie is just one big slow pullback, and I appreciate that because it's it sets up pieces slowly, and it really does reveal itself in a nice way. Um, so you realize that I can't say her name, but Miriam, Miriam, I don't know her. I can't say Catherine Deneuve. I I can't say that last name. I don't know why it feels like I'm choking on my tongue, (laughs) but she, we, it's, she has had many people in her life through this long life that she has had and that they all end up in boxes. 
um, <laughs> she sets her sights on Susan Sarandon, who David Bowie went to for help, but she didn't help him, and that seems really sad and it's always makes sad. me upset, and I don't like watching it, especially now. And so she feels guilty, Susan Sarandon does, and her and Miriam strike up this weird flirty thing and this is really cute and awkward during that scene and then i guess you know miriam's a vampire and she kills susan sarandon or makes susan sarandon a vampire and Where then... she bites susan sarandon and susan sarandon also bites her kind of yeah i guess not quite yeah, knowing it's, it's that whole thing is weird so like I don't know. But then the end happens and the end is confusing and I don't know if it's literal and then apparently there's an added scene at the end that doesn't really make anything make sense and talk about movies that don't have rules. I was very confused about the rules. Yeah, the coda. I'm going to call it a coda. Yes. It, and, I, and I think based on what I was reading about it, it was one of those studio mandated codas. Yes, the studio said right. you have to do it where we can have a sequel. So you yeah. have to add this scene. So it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any sense based on what we've seen happen. And also, and I like at the time when I watched it, I just kind of didn't like it. But then like I read like Susan Sarandon actually had a really strong feeling about it where she basically says the coda is terrible because it undoes the whole decision my character makes. Uh, That my character has made a decision that she, you know, doesn't want to live life a certain way so mm-hmm. she makes a very very big decision and then the coda happens and it undoes all of that without giving any explanation or justification mm-hmm. um so it is a case where like it's the kind of movie i can forgive that because i'm like ah, i'm just gonna pretend that coda didn't happen because it feels so studio mandated that it's like yeah no, no, no it didn't it that does that was a studio thing but yeah, yeah it sure. does really I, hurt the film but even even before that i do have feelings about not knowing really where I was was at with rules. Mm-hmm. I could see that. Yeah, this um it this movie is one of those vampire movies that never says the word vampire. Yes. And it, it's it's I like and this is something I said about Byzantium too back when we covered that one is uh, it's neat in that it does play with our concept of vampire. Yes, right? so I they're do enjoy not that. quite, you know, they walk around during the day, the sun doesn't do anything to them, and it's really like, it's, maybe they're not, they're just, they have eternal life, and they have to feed on blood. That seems to be what they are. Uh, and we don't quite know why, if it's just that because maybe she's, maybe it's different for if you're a woman uh, mm-hmm. versus a man, but for whatever reason, Miriam is able to stay young forever whereas oh i didn't even no, think of that i don't think it is now that i'm thinking of it though because at the end when we when we see more of her past lovers i think there are women there yeah so it's so not that is it because she was like the the original maybe maybe it's a case where like you can um only give this gift for so long and yeah that could be it yeah we don't get an explanation to my knowledge unless i missed it for why Miriam doesn't age, but they do. It, I, I kind of wish maybe I understood that a little bit yeah. more. But the fact that that is the case, and the fact that she is so fucking quick to recruit in somebody else and not give them the full story, makes me absolutely hate her. And that was very effective. Yeah, because it is. It, it is a what it, what she's doing is terrible. Because it's not that she is killing someone; it's that she is offering them a lie 
she is presenting it to them as eternal life and we're gonna be young yeah. together forever and that is a lie she mm-hmm. will be young forever but they will not be yep. and they are not informed about this uh which is incredibly unfair and it it does make her such a villain because that is a terrible thing to do to someone Yep. Turning someone into a vampire, well, like, based on what we've seen in other movies, like, that's a shitty thing to do, but, you know, eh, eventually somebody's going to stake you in the heart. But in this case, like, no, that's not the case. And you're not going to die. You are just going to physically, you know, become unwilling to do anything, and you're going to turn to dust, but not all the way dust, so you're still going to mm-hmm. be there. It's like, when, when I was a kid, like, when I first learned about death... And, you know, like, saw my first, you know, funeral and saw, you know, what happens. The body is put in a coffin and buried. And I remember for a very long time being very scared of, oh, my God, death is sleeping in that coffin forever. Mm-hmm. And knowing that. And somehow knowing that I'm, I'm like, I'm dead. Here I am in a coffin. And that's kind of, like, literally what happens to her partners in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, now that I think about it, I think it has something to do with, like, the blood, because isn't it when, at one point when Susan Sarandon, I think when she's kissing Miriam after bleeding, that, like, that may be turning Miriam, and then it, because then it affects the bodies in the boxes. There's some rules going on that I think both I just... of us missed. I, yeah, I guess. Maybe I just don't understand it. No, not... I, I think it is a problem of the movie that, you know, you don't have... We're, like, we're saying, like, you don't have to explain everything to us, but we were very unclear on the physics of why some stuff was happening. Mm-hmm. And it did. It, to me, it did take a little away from the movie, because I kind of felt like I'm just... I'm watching a fantasy, and I'm just going with it, because it's really pretty, and everybody's beautiful, and I'm digging watching them. But I don't really know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I feel like it's it paints such a full picture that I I wonder if yeah I feel like maybe it's the answers I'm looking for are there somewhere I just didn't right. catch them. And it's like it's not quite kind of I guess ethereal enough for me not to have not to have expect answers to those questions. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I agree that I agree with that. Um, so you have also Susan Sarandon is, her boyfriend is, uh, Cliff DeYoung. Mm-hmm. And what, what's a fun trivia fact is that, um, Susan Sarandon was obviously a couple years off of Rocky Horror Picture Show. Mm-hmm. And Cliff DeYoung played Brad in Shock Treatment, which is the sequel to Oh, Rocky I didn't Show. know that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he is the worst. Isn't he, he is don't you hate worst. him in this movie? He's terrible he's such like a mansplaining prick uh he's he's very dismissive of her because she's susan sarandon in this um i will i mean not to be political but i have had some issues with susan sarandon over the last few months Mm -hmm. i think a lot of people have however um i've also been watching feud on fx and she's playing betty davis and she is Mm -hmm. fucking fantastic in it and in this i also loved her in this and even reading a couple of things she had to say about the movie made me really like, um, I felt like she had a really great approach to this movie and this character and had very strong ideas about it. And 
I and I think she comes she's great on screen in this. I think she has a great look. I love her hair. Her hair looks great. Mm-hmm. Um and I think there's something to the 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 casting of the movie. All three of them. I think it's such brilliant casting. Cuz you have yeah, David I Bowie agree. like David Bowie is a fucking, of course, we all knew David Bowie was, like, we were surprised when he died because we all thought he was a vampire all this time. Yeah. Uh, so it makes perfect sense to put him in that part and then kind of turn it on, like, the, oh, but he's aging. Uh, and Catherine Deneuve, who I think is the epitome of your icy, blonde, out-of-reach beauty. Mm-hmm. Right? In, like, Belle du Jour and Repulsion, like, that's you know, kind of what her persona was for so long of just this incredibly beautiful, exotic, and there's got to be something else going on with her because she is, you know, just so beautiful and kind of out of everybody else's level. Um, So it's, like, it's great casting. I think everybody's great. I think everybody has chemistry with each other. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a sexy, sexy movie. And I know it was very controversial for, you know, having a lesbian sex scene. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, today, it, it's a very tame scene by today's standards. It is. Yeah, I, I observed that as well. Yeah. And but it was for its time, it was like, it was shocking. But but it's also like, if there's, you know, first of all, if there's two people I want to see have sex in this movie. It is probably Susan Sarandon and Catherine Deneuve. And if I'm Susan Sarandon, and I have the choice of Cliff DeYoung or Catherine Deneuve, I'm a heterosexual woman, and I'm picking Catherine Deneuve. Oh, he's the absolute he's worst. The worst in this movie. <sighs> um, and even like the, the like the seduction scene that we're talking about, like it's it, it's such a great like. Oh, come in! I'm just listening to classical opera music. Oh, have some sherry. Oh, you're wearing a white top. Oh, you spilled sherry on your top, huh? I know. Like, it's such a setup for like they're gonna bang, like bang already. Come on. And so, yeah, it, I said like oh, this is moving really slow, right? <laughs> like come on, just spill the sherry, spill the sherry. Uh, we also had a fun bit of casting in the opening scene. Did you recognize the uh, club girl who David Bowie sucks the blood out of? No. She was in a movie we covered a few months back. Uh, it was Anne Magnuson from Making Mr. Right. Oh, was it really? Yeah. No, I didn't. I didn't. Yeah, catch she's that like at the all. club girl who David Bowie strips. Yeah, she's all into it, and they're like, "Yeah, sexy," and then he kills her. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so it goes. This I so it goes. So it goes. Um, I really something I loved about this movie is like I really like good classical music, and I really like the cello. <laughs> And this movie has a lot of that going on. Mm-hmm. So, you know, tonally, and I mean, Tony Scott was very much known as a, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, kind of style over substance director. Right? Yeah. And, yeah, I can agree with that. And this is, I think, a perfect example of that. There's great ideas going on, and there are interesting character things and themes being explored. But what made this movie for me was that it's also gorgeous in both a visual and like audio way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, yeah, it's really attractive. Very much. Um, and I 
see, I like, I think Zach read an Ebert review saying that it was like, I'm paraphrasing, but like, it was style over substance yeah. kind of thing. Um, but like, first of all, I don't 100% agree with that. But also, like, it is very stylish. And yeah. That's the movie that it is. But it's consistent in that style. Totally. Like, it's not like, what was up with that weird intercutting scene and all those birds and those curtains that was the whole fucking movie (laughs) right it was birds and curtains and (laughs) and sliced in weird edits yeah and i see i'm i'm fine with like every movie you know is its own thing and sometimes style over substance is absolutely fine and so you know sometimes i watch like beyond the black rainbow where i'm like yeah, I get the style is beautiful, but I, I really don't care. I'm not invested. Mm-hmm. It, it's style over substance, but there's not enough substance for me, to, for this to win me over. And in this movie, I think it's a case of like, yeah, no, this is a better movie for its visuals than for its storytelling, but it has some pretty interesting storytelling and I'm into it, even if it's very flawed, even yeah. if the ending really hurts it even if we're kind of unclear as to what exactly is going on, mm-hmm. uh, even if every character could have had more development in whatever way you were going to do that. Uh, I'm okay with that because this is also, I loved watching this movie. It was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, it definitely was. I am okay with it because it did have, you know, inside of all that style, it had a cohesive story that I could follow mm-hmm. that I didn't have to struggle to follow. Right. Granted, I am left with questions, sure. but I mean, maybe I was supposed to be, I don't know. There's just some things I would still like to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, one other bit of uh, Susan Sarandon quote that I'd read, which apparently was in the documentary, The Celluloid Closet, which I've never seen. Mm, I haven't either. Yeah, from 1995. And she talks about the in the script originally in the seduction scene her character is supposed to be drunk like absolutely drunk Yeah. and according to Susan Sarandon it was actually her choice she asked for that to be changed to where like nope she just has like a sip of alcohol uh, and then spills the rest so that it was very clear that this was her choice this wasn't because she was drunk Yeah. that her character was making this active choice to sleep with this you know with miriam uh that it wasn't go- that you couldn't put it on something else and that that yes. made me really respect her and and uh you know her choice as an actor there yeah no i, I mean it's good she got she didn't get duped into the sex she got duped into the, the, vampirism. Into the vampirism yeah <laughs> I mean, and let's feel like we've all been there and we've learned, right? Like, If I had a nickel for every time. Yeah, like, ladies, what it comes down to is, like, you just, you know, you you can never be sure, so you need to do your research before you make any decisions like that, right? Like, go on their Facebook page and just see. Have they been on Facebook since 1622? If they have, they're probably a vampire, Right. (laughs) <laughs> just like a little bit of research. It's a pretty, it's a pretty good rule. It's of 2017. There, you know, like I'm not, bl- I'm not putting victim blaming on anybody, but you, the tools are there for us nowadays that we don't have to get taken advantage of. Like we can choose to get taken advantage of, or we can choose to be proactive about, you know, who we let suck our blood. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Words to live by. Yeah. So now, did you have any other for you watching it? It seems like you were less favorable this time than you were the first time. Um, the first time I was all in a hundred percent, like 
this is the this is the mm-hmm. visual soundtrack of my life. Right. Give me this movie. But this time, I really, for some reason, I was hung up on mechanics. Sure. And just like, okay, well, if this one can die, why couldn't that one? Well, if this one's really dead, is this one? Well, then how? Well, you know, right. like just timing and and stuff like that. But that fucking opening, that opening, yeah, opening is, is great. The best. So good. Um, and. I still really like it. I just feel like I was maybe, like I said, a little bit more critical this time. Mm-hmm. Now, did you watch this before or after Sleepwalkers? After. I actually just finished it this afternoon. Okay. But gee, I would think you would have been softer on it after all of the many uh, plot questions of Sleepwalkers. Ugh, yeah, well, I mean, it it was no Sleepwalkers. <laughs> I, what I is? Still, I still really liked it, and I did want to ask you a question. Okay, bring it. Would you want to live in a home that had an elevator in it? Girl, I live on the fourth floor. Well, I know, but I mean, not not like not like a not like an apartment or like a building, but like a home that had that was so sprawling (gasps) and had so many floors that you had an elevator. Well, assuming if this is the case that I'm rich enough to hire somebody to clean it. This is a really good point. Then, of course. Okay. Yeah. And, and I mean, as you know, I, I live in an apartment, and I live on the fourth floor, but it's really like the fifth floor, because there's a whole stairway to get into the building, mm. and we do not have an elevator. And, like, I have to do my laundry this weekend, which means I have to carry my laundry up those five flights oh, of stairs. Oh, I remember those days. You remember them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's right. You were on, what, the third floor? We, I think... The first apartment, we were fourth floor walk up, and then third floor for the second. Yeah. And, like... The, uh, the first apartment was, was really tough. Yeah. Like, you think it gets easier? I got news for you, people. It doesn't. Like, I run. Like, I'm, I'm like, in better cardio shape than you think when you look at me. And I'm <gasps> still out of breath every fucking time I walk up these stairs. Yeah. And p- bringing up groceries <sighs> or doing laundry. That's why, we, that's why we have our groceries delivered. I, I don't blame you. Yeah. Thank you. It's it's not awesome, but I saw that elevator and I went like, look, I don't want to live in a place that is big enough to need an elevator. Oh. And I wanted to know what you thought. No, I would I would totally take that. Okay, good to know. Um, I would I see you know oh, sleepwalkers couldn't teleport right as far as we know because that's the one thing it's like oh it might be a pain if like no, Ryan is all the way no. up on the fifth floor and I'm on the second and gotta call like it would kind of suck to have to like call somebody in your own home. Yeah. Um, but maybe if I was a sleep, like a third generation sleepwalker, maybe I can also teleport. Because it seems like, why can't they do that? Right. You know, it kind of, now that I'm thinking about sleepwalkers, I forgot another movie with a, where, like, the monsters have no rules that really bothered me as a kid and still bothers me now mm-hmm. is the Leprechaun series. Yes. Because, like, it's sometimes that Leprechaun can fucking teleport into your kitchen cabinet and you can be running from him and he's chasing you. And then, like, you like you finally get away from him and you stop and all of a sudden he, like, magically appears right in front of you. And you're like, what? so why even bother? Like, he can do anything mm-hmm. when the movie wants him to. And it's very bothersome. I don't, yeah, um, stickler for the rules. Yeah, yeah. All right, so uh, what more do you have to say about The Hunger? <sighs> I don't know. Yeah. Nothing. Uh, I'm glad I finally watched it. Yeah, it had been on so my list forever. I, I would rather hear what you think. Oh, 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 Hugh. No, I, 
I really, it's, it's a, it, you know, like I said, I really enjoyed watching it. It had problems, and it the problems for me were mostly in, again, A, that coda, which really does hurt it, yep. uh, and B, the, I'm not fully sure what's going on here, but I'm into it. Yeah. And, you know, I'll probably watch it, like, it's not when I, like, run to buy or anything, but if it was on, I'd watch it. I really did like the, not the coda, but the ending uh, <gasps> Me too. Like it's, oh, I it's don't, great. I thought of one thing that I wanted to bring up. Oh, do it. There were a lot of noises in this movie that drove mm. me fucking insane. Mm. But I think it was supposed to. I could see there that. Was the, there was the monkey noise when they were inside yep. the testing thing. And then at the end, there was... Um, gosh, was it, a, was it a bird noise? Maybe it was. There was just these repetitive noises that irritated me so much but then i thought like i think they're supposed to i could see that yeah it is like it's this kind of on one hand everything is beautiful and you're kind of sucked in but it's also wrong like there is a wrongness to this world and to these characters and like i think those sounds probably are what are like i think that might be what they're supposed to be doing Mm -hmm. yeah like i i dug it like again it's uh, Tony Scott, like, I was never the biggest fan of Tony Scott. Um, just uh, of the films that he's done that I've seen. Let's see. Tony Scott as a director. And a lot of his action movies I just never saw. Um, oh, the. F- <laughs> I forgot. He directed The Fan. <laughs> oh, interesting. It's, it's the, you know, the uh, yeah. Robert De Niro. It's, that, That's funny. It all comes back very, around. We're good sometimes. I know. Um, Last Boy Scout, I, I enjoy. Top Gun, I never actually saw. Yeah, like, his, you know, I, not, his stuff wasn't the biggest for me. <laughs> yeah, I think it's I also know. interesting. I don't know that he ever made another movie quite like this. Because mm-hmm. most of his other films were more, you know, real world, but very elevated action films. I don't think yeah. he, like, this isn't a period film, but it feels like one. And it, you know, kind of feels like a extended music video, but in a very kind of Bram Stoker's Dracula-esque style. Yeah. And I think he was good at it. Like, I think that he channeled beautifully. I think where the film hurts is more just kind of screenplay or decisions on how we were supposed to understand what was going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, what I got to say about it for the most part. Well, yay. Right. I'm very curious to hear your rating. Um, it's a good, yeah, I am too. All right, quality oh. of film. <laughs> I am going to go, um, I'll go 6.75 for film. Quality of film, 6.75. Okay, I am going to go 7.5. That's fair. Okay, uh, thank you for, thank you for approving of I, that. I always approve of you, don't you worry. <laughs> now, quality of life. Let's see, okay. I did give Sleepwalkers an 8. <laughs> You did. I did. Um, I would give this a 7.25 because I really did enjoy it. Um, and I think it did – it it like it made me think about it. some really disturbing things. Yeah. Uh, and I like that. I like the sadness of it. I think really uh, hit me. Mm-hmm. And that made it heavier, I think, which I enjoyed. So, yeah, 7.25 for me. How about you? I was going to go 7, but 
just on the strength of the opening mm-hmm. and David Bowie, it's going to be an eight for me. Oh, David Bowie. I know. Did um so did you hear the news about the Labyrinth new movie? I saw it come like the headline come up somewhere, but I didn't actually like read it or look at it. Yeah, the uh the news and I don't know how far along any of this is, but that the news is the guy whose name I don't Alvarez who did Don't Breathe and the Evil Dead remake. Yeah, yeah. Uh is going to be making a Labyrinth movie. Okay. The way I've the, what I read was that it's not a remake, but that it would be like a sort of continuation. Okay. So maybe taking place in the same universe, but it seems like they're not just remaking it. Which I'm, I mean, like, like thinking of like ten year old me who would be screaming right now mm-hmm. in excitement about another labyrinth movie. Uh, I I think that's a that's pretty cool. I'm 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 open to it. <laughs> I'm okay. I'm pretty okay with it too, for sure. I mean, they've been doing continuations and adaptations mm-hmm. and reimaginings of stuff like that, especially the Dark Crystal, like in comic book right, form, totally for for a long time. So I think it's. So is this like it's officially going to happen? Because I know they've been talking about it for a while. I'm not sure how official. I feel like it got enough. It might have been like in variety, but I don't know if it's like starting production or if it's okay. starting what. I'm not sure where it's at as far as how realistic it is going to happen. Mm-hmm. But... I I hope it does. I mean, I, do I know they've they've said it um, before. Like like this is a thing that was in development or being talked about or being right. you know. Yeah, and but I, I hope it actually happens. Yeah, me too. So we'll see. But mm-hmm, interesting. All right, so now that was The Hunger, mm-hmm. do you have a Netflix instant or Amazon or Hulu, whatever? Do you have a streaming recommendation? I do, I do, I do, I do. What do we got? What do we got? Um, it is a Netflix one? I think it is Netflix. It is a movie that I'm probably going to say the name of wrong, but it is a movie that people were going crazy about, um, and I was like, meh. I might like it. And then I like actually saw screenshots from it and read the synopsis and was like, we're watching this fucking movie right this second. It is Train to Busan. Oh, I've heard great things. It is so good. That's what I've heard. Um, It is everything that a zombie movie is supposed to be. And in all the right ways. It proves that you can still fucking make it and not yep. be tired and crappy right, and right. old. It is so good. Like, I got upset. I think I cried at the end. Mm. Like, you get upset when people inevitably turn or yep. die. You get mad when somebody gets double-crossed. Ah, like, it's I want to watch it! It's full of tropes and full of shit that happens in every zombie movie. Yeah. But it's so good! Nice. No one's stupid in it. Like, everybody oh. is really smart. Like, like they get it real quick mm-hmm. and which is great. Nice. I love it. Now, okay. Cuz I really want to watch it. My hesitation it is on Netflix now. My hesitation has been in the running time cuz I think it's like two and a half hours or something, right? Oh, it didn't feel like it at all. Yeah, I just, and it's like one of those like it's like it's not the like oh I don't want to sit down for a 2 hour movie. It's like oh I just want to make sure I have the time to actually watch yeah. the entire thing. Yeah, I think we I didn't even honestly I didn't notice. I think we banged it out in one watch, which is okay. rare nowadays. Sure. For for me to be able to sit that long. Is it going do you think it's going to hurt if I watch it in multiple times? 
Like if not I necessarily. S- I don't okay. think that's a deal breaker. If okay. you can commit Good. time to just sit there, I would. I think that's the best way, obviously. Mm-hmm. But like, there are uh, two parts I can think of off the top of my head that are like really good. Take a breath moments. Okay. So like, like lo- not so much lulls as in like resets. Like okay, almost like levels of a video game because obviously sure. it's on a train. Right. So there are. There it feels like there's different levels to this movie. So if, I think that I think you could find an organic stopping point. Okay. Okay. Good to know. Very Watch good to know. It. I'm going to. I'm love going it. to. Just a matter of when. Just a matter of when. Okay. All right. Uh, mine, like I said, mine I decided was um, fitting with the theme of the show. And this was one that I know you've seen. I think everybody has seen it, but I was late to the party because it just came on Amazon Prime. And that is What We Do in the Shadows. Yes. Yep. It's delightful. It is delightful. Isn't it's it? so delightful. Uh, I mean, of course you liked it. Yeah, the you know documentary horror, uh, documentary documentary comedy can be hit or miss, and yep. like it, it's become very trendy, and it can be a little try hard. Um, but this is just really funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, what's what you know why I thought it was very fitting to pair with um, the hunger because it also does address the whole turning somebody into a vampire. Yep, and that decision and what it means and all that. Uh, so I found this a delight, and if if there's like the three people out there like me who hadn't seen it, like just do yourself a favor and watch it. I wish it's it was longer. It's a good movie, and it's super funny. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah. and it's, it's like an hour and a half, and watching it, I'm like, oh, it's over. I want more of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. So now um, I had picked this show. Do you have any thoughts on what you'd like to cover next? I really don't. Okay. I'm gonna have to think about we it. We will think on this. And we will be back. And in the meantime, people, if you want to reach us, you can find us at Twitter at Feminine Podcast or go to Facebook and look for The Feminine Critique. And we're there and we'll talk about stuff. Yes. Uh, all right. I think that's all I got. You too? That's it. Okay, then. Um, with that, ladies, if a maybe handsome, maybe not that handsome blonde young man uh, tries to seduce you with trips to the cemetery and grave rubbing... And I mean that as like doing like rubbings of a grave, not, not like rubbing dry up rubbing, against not yeah. like dry humping. <laughs> um, yeah, if a guy tries to do that with you, like, uh-uh, he's a sleepwalker and it's going to be bad. Think it's, about it, people. Yeah. Just, you know what? Or just bring it, be like, oh, yeah, that sounds fun. Can I bring my cat? And if he says no, no. deal breaker right there. Deal breaker. Indeed. Good night, folks. Ticking of the clock I'm lying here The room's pitch dark I wonder where you are tonight No answer on the telephone And the night goes by so very slow Oh Oh
the secret you're still